What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joe Moran and I'm here with River Brown, Joe Dells, John Tortorelli. And this is now episode 269. And today we have a special guest, Travis May. We are joined by him to talk about the top running back and tight end prospects in the NFL draft. And then later on, we'll talk about DeAndre Hopkins, expectations for Jordan Love, Bill Belichick potentially shopping Mac Jones, and reviewing NFL win line totals. So, Travis, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. I'm glad to just join you and talk NFL prospects. That's what I've been doing nonstop this season. I feel like I, I got like 10 shows in the next like eight days or something. I'm, I'm, I'm doing just talking mojo, NFL draft, everything. So it's, it's a time of year, man. So glad, glad to be here. Yeah, and as you guys all know, we are partnering with Mojo. And Mojo, they have their own listings of the top receivers, running backs, and tight ends. Their top five receivers were JSN, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, Number four is A Flowers, and number five was Jalen Hyatt. So, Travis, just want to get your quick thoughts on that top five. Do you think that Jordan Addison is too high at two? Because I think he is a little bit too high. I think if you are an analytics fan, uh, then no. The answer is no. He's not too uh, low because his pr- production profile from day one uh, when he showed up at Pitt uh, as a true freshman, he was dominant. I think his first few games in a row, he had seven catches like and just was, hey, by the way, I'm the best player on the team. And, you know, year two – had that massive breakout with the Bletnikoff award-winning season, transfers to USC, plugs in and is immediately productive despite being not 100%. Uh, so he profiles really well. Um, you know, people were you know worried about him running a 4.49, which, by the way, like that's dumb. Like, like the average for NFL wide receivers at the combine is four, like 4.52. So there's nothing wrong with the speed. So I, I, I think the, the weight is a concern, but no. Uh, he analytically projects to be a success. Um, and you could put a couple other guys over him, but uh, I think it'd be bad to drop him down very far the list. Uh, yeah. So I, w- I was checking your Twitter profile and Marvin Mims has like the second best analytics profile for a receiver. Did he crack your top five list or is he not on the top five? My own personal top five? Yeah, your own personal uh, top so five. So my, my own personal top five, he's, he's really, really close. Like he's uh, six for me overall. But uh, And he's somebody that I've really liked since – I don't know, high school. Like I'm one of those nerds that follows college football recruiting. So I know like all the top four or five star kids that, you know, uh, it, by the time they're a junior. And so like, he's one of those guys that's like, I, okay, he's going to be a top 100 player in the country. We knew it. He, uh, as a true freshman, had a smash success. Uh, in his sophomore year, uh, the whole offense struggled. Like everyone but him struggled, basically. Like every other wide receiver is like 10 yards per, <laughs> 10 yards per catch, 11 yards per catch. And then Marvin Mims, like 20 plus yards per catch. Like he's, an efficiency monster, even when the offense struggled and then has his best year this past season after losing his quarterback. Uh, so, uh, man, yeah, I, I love Marvin Mims. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Marvin Mims, too. And how, how are you guys doing, Dells, Tortorelli, and Riv? Feeling uh, good, man. Feeling yeah. good. I'm surprised you didn't open the show uh, going off P.J. Tucker career night or season season high night. I'm um, against my Boston Celtics, but I, I appreciate the growth I'm seeing from you that we're not overreacting to that game. I mean, listen, winners, winners don't, they don't celebrate over the regular season. You know, okay, I know, I know you, Dells, you like to victory lap the Bucks win, thinking you're going to the NBA finals. Listen, man, I'm a playoff guy. 
So for oh, me, I'm not worried about the regular right? season. I'm not. I'm not worried about the regular season. Does I'm right. worried about the playoffs. Okay. I'm worried about when when it matters the most. And the bottom yeah, line is got, that when you're it, locked into the Cavs now, you better be locked. Yeah. In. The, the bottom line though, is that when it matters the most, the Celtics don't show up. The NBA Finals last the final season, last season. <laughs> two seasons ago, two seasons <laughs> ago. When did you when did you get eliminated? It's two a football topic, ago. guys. Football uh, episode. Football Brown, episode. Lost. And Jason oh. Tatum got a game. He uh, dropped this. Yeah. Goal, oh, Katie, you lost. But... So when it matters most, you lose in the first round last two seasons. You lost in the finals, <laughs> even though you was up. <laughs> I mean, come on, we come on, Jalen Brown. We were, the we Heat almost beat you. Jimmy Butler made that shot. I'm sorry. Game seven. Jimmy Butler should have cooked. We know that. But yeah, we know, the, we know we know the Bucks will come out the East. That's why Dells, I'm not too worried about these regular season theatrics from you, Dells. You know, I'm, I'm a playoff guy. But Riv, how I, are you I don't doing? I jumped into man. This is <laughs> this, is, this has been going on all year, just all year, <laughs> not stop. Doesn't stop. Um, you know, I'm just I'm having a rough week, man. My face is breaking out. My hairstylist hasn't answered. It's been tough. Uh, I'm hurting. I'll be honest. Hey, been, Riv, uh, what's up? I have been too. You got to change the pillow sheets. And then you got to cut down the sugar and you'll be good. Pretty yeah, confident. Yeah. And you got to do skincare, brother. And you won't it's, have it's, any, the, it's any the soda, stuff. man. The soda's killing me, man. I'm telling you, but soda's so good. The large uh, orange high seas catching up to you. And we have ginger ale in the house. So, you know, we just not yeah. stop drinking. Uh, ginger ale's good, man. Ginger ale is good. And that McDonald's orange drink will get you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I, yeah, I've been a kid. That was my go to. <laughs> I'm in Arizona for the next couple of weeks, the next two weeks, I believe. And going going from New Jersey to Arizona, the one stark change is that one over here they have Jack in the Box. Something mm. I've been getting. Jack in the Box is pretty good, even though that the ranch wrap the other day kind of in my stomach bubble a little bit. <laughs> um, but also, McDonald's, they have hot and spicy McChickens. In New Jersey, they didn't have hot and spicy McChickens. They spicy, took them away. Okay. Yeah, they got hot and spicy McChickens. It's really, really good. Do you like What's Jack different? in the Box? Jack in the Box is pretty good, yeah. What's different than just the, the spicy chicken sandwich you could get here? You talking about a McDonald's? Yeah. It's not a McChicken. <laughs> it's a McCrispy. The... Oh, my God. I don't is think there's a difference. Like, I know there's a difference, but... There's yeah. definitely a difference in the, in the taste. There's definitely a difference uh, in the okay. taste. Yeah. So... Just to let you guys know, the intro sound that we've been using at the beginning of these shows is a it was produced by Saint Saxon Sound. And we want to give them a shout out. You can like and subscribe to the channel. We'll put the link to the channel down below. Um, they make a lot of like different lo-fi beats and stuff. And I've been forgetting to shout them out, but now is a good time to shout them out. And we'll put the YouTube channel down below. But let's get on to these college football rankings. And let's start off with running backs. So Mojo's top five running backs in this draft, according to the share price they have, is number one, B. John Robinson. I don't think there's any surprise there. He's everybody's consensus, number one. Number two is Jameer Gibbs. I think that is also, you know, they've been consensus RB1 and RB2. Then the next three is Zach Carbonet, and I hope I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? No, it's just, it's just Charbonnet. 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 Okay. Sounds like a nice fine wine. Yeah. Zach Charbonnet. That actually does sound fire. Devon A. Shane <laughs> and Zach Evans. So the thing about this year's running back class is I think that there's just far more explosive backs this year than there was any last year's class. Last year it was Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and then everybody else kind of didn't either they didn't they either didn't have the size or the explosiveness and burst that you really want. In this draft, 
it was hard really coming up with a top five list because there are so, so many hard. players that are deserving of being in the top five. So, Travis, I'll start with you. Uh, what is your personal top five running back list in this draft? Sure. So, and it's funny. I mean, on the Mojo stock market, like I oversee that market, but it seldom is that uh, those prices exactly align with my rankings, but they're pretty close. Like Mojo has, you know, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Zach Charbonnet, Devin A. Chain, and Zach Evans. And the only big difference is that I have, you know, the, the same top three, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, and Zach Charbonnet. But then I have Tank Bigsby as my running back four and Zach Evans as my running back five. So I had Devin A. Chain in my top three as at one point just because I understood that he had that near, I don't know, Olympic level speed. And he still does. I was actually disappointed in his like four, three-ish time at the combine because I knew he's so he could have done so much better than that. Uh, but yeah, the big difference is that uh, I have a lot of confidence in Tank Bigsby because I can look beyond the dumpster fire that was the Auburn offense uh, and really his entire tenure at, at Auburn and just say, wow, he really overcame in those circumstances, despite uh, having an absolute mess uh, to sift through. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Tank Bigsby. I, I really dating back to pre-college. Uh, uh, I was one that put him right up next to uh, B. John Robinson in my uh, rankings at the time because I am one of those guys that just follows recruiting from you know early high school on because I, I want my favorite teams to succeed and I play in you know nerdy like college fantasy leagues and other stuff that just uh, you know really is reliant on predicting future success early. Um, but Tank Bigsby he just didn't have the the peak uh, production that we want to see, uh, but he has the contact balance, he has the receiving ability, he's got sufficient size, and at his pro day he actually ran like a four four six unofficial. 40 times. So he's got some speed to go with that uh, size and strength and, and just angry running style that he, he, he possesses. So really love him. If he actually gets decent draft capital, um, I'm going to be really happy with uh, uh, his future NFL projection. Yeah. Tank Bisbee's a beast. I love his running style as well. My number one is Bijan. I think that's everybody's number one. I mean, this guy, as a freshman, averaged 8.2 yards per carry. And I know Dells has been raving about Bijan for a while, so I'll let him go more in depth on Bijan. I want to go in depth on my number two running back in this draft, and that's Roshan Johnson. Roshan Johnson, to me, is an absolute beast. He's a monster. I know he backed up Bijan Robinson, and he doesn't have the production of these other guys. Looking at Mojo's share prices, Ro Roshan is, I think, 15th or 16th. That, that's his price right now. But for me, he's going to be a day-two pick, probably get selected in the third round. And I just feel like he has it all. He has insane bursts. He's 6'2", 223 pounds. He reminds me a lot of Damian Pierce, except he's bigger. Like Roshan Johnson has Damian Pierce's running style. He plays like him, but he's four inches taller and he weighs about six more pounds. And to me, I think even though Roshan doesn't have the production, you just watch him play in the Texas offensive line. Bijan averaged 6.1 yards per carry. Roshan averaged six yards per carry. The offense didn't look much different when Roshan was in there. And there's just a bunch of things he possesses. He can make guys miss. He's a violent runner. And he has pass catching ability as well. I understand the production is not there, but I do think that he is the second best running back in his class. And unlike somebody like Jameer Gibbs and Devon A. Shane, and I think those guys are exceptional, their best traits are their speed. And I think Jameer Gibbs 
I don't know if he's a workhorse back at the next level. I think that he has to be in the right scheme and system. I don't know if he's somebody that you're going to be able to consistently give 20 plus carries a game. I think he's going to be in a running back by committee group where I think Roshan Johnson has the size to really be a workhorse back at the next level. And I think that he got overshadowed by Bijan Robbins because, because Bijan is so great, but it's not the first time that's happened. You know, last year, Brian Robinson, I was very high on him coming out of the draft and he was overshadowed by a plethora of Alabama running backs throughout his career. And he had a pretty good season with Washington, you know, all things considered. And Roshan reminds me a lot of Brian Robinson, except I think he has a little bit more burst. So I think Roshan, Roshan Johnson is going to be a stud Three, I have Jameer Gibbs. I think the speed is something that I can't dispute or dismiss. But I think something that does worry me is his running rushing yards over expected is that he kind of didn't he kind of didn't break away most of the time. He breaks away with the speed, but in terms of just breaking away from tackles, he's not the best at that. Number four is Zach Carbonet. You know, I think he has RB1 size, 6'1, 220. He's a pass catcher. He's a downhill runner. Um, he has great wiggle for his size. And number five is Kendra Miller out of TCU. I think Kendra Miller, he just – there was a lot of explosive runs on tape that I saw from him, and he was third in explosive run rate and set seventh in yards over expected. So I think those are my top five. And honorable mentions, I have Tajay Spears. I think Spears is somebody that, you know, small school, but I really like what I saw from him. And Israel Anaconda out of pit is also a really good player too. There's just a lot of running backs in this in this freaking draft, man. Like I like Zach Evans too. I like Sean Tucker. I like uh Kenny McIntosh and his like third down RB like projection. But yeah, the, the my top five is Bijan, Roshan, Jameer, Zach, Carbonet, and Kendra Miller. I like that list. And just like Travis, I'm a big fantasy football guy too. So I've been trading my dynasty leagues. I've been trading for 2023 first for two years now because of B. John Robinson. Um, Tank was in that discussion as well. You know, a couple of years ago, people thought Tank would be in that conversation with Bijan. Um, he hasn't exactly lived up to that RB1 hype that he's gotten, um, but he's pretty high on my top five as well. But number one, just like everyone else, it's Bijan. He's the everything you're looking for in a bell cow running back. I think if you really want to be nitpicky and say there's one thing he doesn't have, He's probably not going to break an 80-yard touchdown. Like, he'll break plenty of 50, 60-yarders, but is he going to be the most elite top-end speed running back in the league? Probably not. But everything else from running back to blocking to receiver, he's the complete package. I think if you just really want to nitpick and have one negative, it's maybe you wish his top-end speed was just a little bit faster. But, again, we're getting really nitpicky here. Um, number two, I have Jameer Gibbs. I'm a big fan of Gibbs's game. Um, going back to his Georgia Tech days, right, coming out as a freshman, 700 total yards. Um, he really got better year after year, and then eventually he ended up transferring to Bama. I remember being in the car getting the news that he was transferring to Alabama. He was one of my favorite running backs in the 2023 class a couple of years ago. So the fact that he was transferring to an SEC school, I was really excited to see kind of the productivity he could have if he could, um, you know, kind of stand or withstand that compared to what he was doing at Georgia Tech. And he did that this season at Bama, had a career high in attempts, rushing and total yards, yards per carry, touchdowns and receptions. So while I understand there's some size concerns, I think he came in just under 200 pounds um, at the combine. I think the fact that he was able to go into Alabama and withstand that type of workload after he didn't do it to the same extent at Georgia Tech, I think is uh, definitely a positive for his NFL future. 
At number three, I was a bit surprised because going into this, obviously you hear everyone's top five and it's pretty chalk. Most people do have Bijan, Gibbs two, and a lot of people have Charbonnet three. But the more and more I watch Tank Bigsby, I moved him up and he's three for me. Um, we'll get into Charbonnet later, but the reason I like Tank over him is just because of that explosiveness. Charbonnet, who I have right behind him at four, is definitely more of your typical power back. But Tank, six foot, 210 pounds. He was great as a freshman, as, as Travis mentioned, great as a high school recruit too. Had 900 total yards as a freshman and 34% missed tackle rate. Last season, he averaged the seventh most yards after contact per attempt. There's this one play when I was watching film against Alabama where three guys come into the backfield. He makes all three of them miss. He's able to hit the outside and gain eight or nine yards. There's, there's a bunch of those plays in his film that maybe don't get on the highlight film, but he's able to turn a negative play into seven or eight yards just because of that explosiveness. I do think he could struggle with some balancing issues that sometimes there's sometimes where I feel like he should be gaining more yards and he kind of has this like arm tackle that he's getting through, but then kind of loses his balance. But overall, he's a really good running back Four, I have Zach Charbonnet, another guy who was able to break out really young, a freshman at Michigan before he had to transfer to UCLA. When I watch him, I, I see AJ Dillon. I don't know if just the running style, kind of that upright sort of uh, vibe he has going on. He's not as big as Dillon. I think he's like 20 or 30 pounds less than him. Um, but he, they're both around 6'1", both power type backs. Um, and Charbonnet, honestly, I have in my notes, he's just a bitch to take down. He's like, I don't think I saw a single time on film where the first guy was able to get him to the ground. So he's constantly breaking tackles, especially arm tackles. You have to get your entire body on him if you want to get him to the ground. He had 806 yards after contact, 53 missed tackles forced, and 24 carries of 15-plus yards. So while I'm talking about him being this power back, he still has enough explosiveness to get those 15-plus yards. And number five, man, I have like eight names here. I like Keandre Miller. I like Devon A-Chain. I like Sean Tucker. I like Izzy. I like Roshan. There's so many guys at five here. Um, I think if you're looking for like a bell cow type of guy, Keandre Miller definitely spikes my or uh, catches my eye. Devon A-Chain probably has the best speed and might have the best in terms of if he's able to find a role, his ceiling is really high. But being only 188 pounds, you do wonder, can that body, you know, uh, keep up in the NFL? Sean Tucker has some great speed. Um, but Syracuse, you know, obviously doesn't have the, the best NFL talent coming out of that pool. Um, but my top four I feel really solid on. Five, if I had to lead one way or another, I think I would just hope A-Chain finds a, a good scheme and a good spot and see what, what ends up happening. One player in this class that I love a lot is Israel Abinakanda out of Pittsburgh, where you guys mentioned him before. I think if he goes to the right situation where kind of a team like San Francisco that can get him going outside, he is a smooth runner, a one quick cut and a great acceleration. I have him and Tank Bigsby right at my five spot. I went back and forth between those two guys, but I think if he goes to the right situation, he could be a really big sleeper from this draft class. At number four, I've got Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. Him and Charbonnet, for me, are pretty similar runners. But I think Charbonnet, he reminds me a lot of Damian Harris, where, like you talked about, Dells, he is just a thick, balanced back. They'll break off arm tackles, and he is tough to bring down to the ground. Just one fumble, I think, last year. And then at number two, I have Jameer Gibbs. There's some questions with him, of course, being that three-down runner, but I think his elusiveness so makes him number two for me. And then at number one, I have to go with Bijan. I don't look at running backs ever and say you should take them in the first round because history shows every time you do, you're going to regret it. And the team takes one in the second will enjoy whatever RB2 is on the board. 
but I think Bijan is that rare exception. His elusiveness, it's the closest thing I've seen on Damian Tomlinson. I just can't believe how quick his vision is. Unlike Saquon, his ability to receive is underrated. Bijan's player watched most out of this class. And honestly, I would take him in the top 10 if I have a great offensive mm-hmm. line because the compact, Ooh. like his, con- his contact balance, his vision, his acceleration. I don't care if he's not the fastest guy in this class. Devon A. Chain is, and I feel like he's the biggest boomer bust player. Bijan Robinson is the one back where I say, look, if I have an offensive line, I'm okay with taking the top 15 because honestly, he might be the most complete skilled player in this draft class. So, so, so do you think the Eagles should take him? If I'm Philadelphia, I would strongly consider it. I, I'd rather take Kalaja Kansi and fill up the defensive line now that you lost Javon Hargrave. I think losing Javon Hargrave now opens up that that question for now the Eagles drafting defensive line and drafting a more valuable position. I think with how stacked this running back class is, given the fact that the Eagles, they just made the Super Bowl with Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and Kenneth Gainwell. You don't need to shoot for the stars and get Bijan. You can get one of these guys day two and be totally happy and fine with the production given the offensive line that they have. That is, that is very true. Is it, is it my turn to Travis go or it's my Travis turn? Did, I, did. Yeah. I kick things you off. Right. You're up, man. Uh, I'm up. This is my first year doing it. I'm a little bit uh, excited, you know, doing the draft <laughs> and stuff. Um, I I think I'm the only guy on this, this platform that's high on Devin A. Chain. I had him pretty high in my ranking. I had Gibbs, B. John, one or two. I think pretty much we all had the same. But his speed and his vision, man, it just it just popped off the screen for me. Like his ability to just cut in between tackles and his ability to get through these tiny holes. I know his frame is really not ideal. You know, he's small, but he's just so freaking fast. I had him in my I had him at five. I had a uh, tank at four because he's just he just looks the part like of an NFL player. He just has the size, the physical attributes of an NFL player. Like he's just so strong, big, physical, somebody that can impose his will with his frame. As someone as something you like in a running back, especially a workhorse that can just come in and impose his will. I had him at four. I had Chardonnay at three for pretty much the same reason. You just can't, you can't tackle him. And for somebody who can't tackle, he's able to break tackles off. You can't tackle him. You need about three, four guys to really impose your will on him to get him down on the ground that's something you have to go but to not ha- like for Devin a chain to not see no love I thought it was interesting because the speed is something that definitely definitely broke out for me like he was he's just so fast and even though he's so small his ability to just get in between those little holes that most backs can't his vision is different and he only fumbled twice in college so that's something you would like to see you know that small frame clearly didn't bother him fumbling the ball because he only fumbled twice so that's something you like to see and i know his short stature he's not able to do a lot of things like we see with short guys are not able to do a lot of thing in terms of the route tree but he his con- his concentration is there his vision in there so my foot list would be Bijan and one gives that two Chardonnay is that how you say his name? Such a beautiful Charbonnet. Charbonnet. Yeah. Charbonnet. Yeah, but such a beautiful last name. Charbonnet yeah. at three. I got Tank at four, and I got Devin A. Chain at five. Listen, yeah. I, think I think that when it, com- when it comes to A. Chain, the reason why the reason why he's not in my top five is because he weighs less than 190 pounds. And you look at the top running backs in the NFL. Let me just name like the smaller ones, like Christian McCaffrey, who like he is small by like RB standards, but he's still like jacked up. He's like 210 plus. Tony Pollard is looks skinny, but he's 212 pounds. They have a good 20 pounds on A-Shane, and that's why for me, 
even though he is good running in between the tackles, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain hits at the next level and, and stay healthy. So for me, that's like the biggest risk for him is that can he stay healthy at the next level given how light he is? You don't think he can buckle? I will say. I, I do. I, I will say, actually, I've been as high as up running back three with him. I just – just the, when he did weigh in at 188, I thought he would come in a little bit thicker. But, yeah, I think the, the best case for me with him is like an Austin Eckler who – Austin Eckler, I don't know if you remember his pre-draft process, but he was an undrafted free agent because he played for, like, Western Colorado. Like, they didn't even have their own pro day. He'd, like, show up at another team's pro day and absolutely wowed everyone because he weighed in, like, sub-190. But he was just freaking fast and, and strong and agile and everything. And so he got an opportunity. Turns out he can catch passes really well. And A-Chain does that as well. And what, what happened with Eckler is he actually did bulk up. And, I mean, he's still bulking up. Like, when you yeah. see, like, his workout stuff now, it's like, are we sure he's not 230 pounds? Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's nuts. What, what the transformation, uh, when you see somebody go from, uh, you know, well, not intentionally bulking up to actually finally getting in a pro kind of work workout room. And, and with AJ, like he's been a borderline Olympic sprinter for Texas A&M for a long time, like sub 10 to second 100 meter time. And so he has intentionally not been gaining weight so that he could maintain that speed and compete as a track athlete. And if now that he's going to transition and focus more on football, if he does bulk at all, he's an absolute easy smash kind of hit prospect wise. Cause I mean, he was able to carry a bunch of workload, even at that smaller size, like this year, he had over 230 touches and the next closest player for an A&M had barely over 50. Like he was the entire offense. So did he have um, a game of like 38 carries too. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that's how they just you know, carried. Yeah. And so he, he has that potential. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, we, we mentioned him because he's somebody who – the sky's the limit. This guy is like, you know, Chris Johnson-level comp and, and, and speed and success. So do you think, yeah. he'll, you think he'll transition – like if he does bulk up, he'll transition more into the Camaro eckler type role in terms of pass catching and running the ball? More, yeah, absolutely. More, more Camaro, I would say. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he's – yeah, in an offense that didn't even pass a ton last year, he had almost 40 receptions, and so he could easily slot into – that kind of role immediately. And if he bulks, you know, Hey, give him some carries while you're at it too. So yeah, I, I like a chain a lot. And it's funny, like we've known this class is stacked for a long time. Like Dells, you mentioned this, but like last year we knew it was going to be trash for a long time. Like back in 2019, that recruiting class, we're like, yeah, this is bad. This is not great. <laughs> and so we can generally see this coming. Um, and this class could have even uh, been better. Had a few players just, you know, come out and a few players, you know, wait another year, but yeah, this class is incredibly deep. There's 15 to 18 guys that really actually have profiles that project as, hey, they're probably going to stick and and be successful to some degree. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, somebody that we didn't mention but I think deserves an honorable mention is Tajay Spears. Tajay Spears has been an analytics darling from what I can tell. Uh, just like searching his name up on Twitter, he is first in yards per carry on non-perfectly – covered run plays or perfectly blocked run plays so when his offensive line is trash he's first in yards per carry this past season he had 63 missed tackles forced he played in a weaker conference so we have to definitely take that take that into account and he was second in explosive run rate so Tajay Spears is somebody that the analytics I mean they really favor him a lot and what are your thoughts on him Travis yeah, Spears has been somebody who's rising uh, ever since like Senior Bowl week when he was just embarrassing linebackers in space as as running backs do at the Senior Bowl, uh, and he just I, I mean, the, the one play that they played over and over he was running around ducks to the left like 
stops on a dime and then ducks under the arm of the linebacker and just just embarrasses him. And that, I feel like that play got played a thousand times. And since then, on Mojo, he actually there's been so many people uh, buying into him that his price has risen significantly since the wow. Senior Bowl. So he's been he's been trending in that direction for a while. But yeah, that U, the USC performance, uh, a few a few other games this year definitely helped boost his stock, and a few of the nerdier metrics definitely favor him as well. Uh, I'm not as super confident in in him getting top tier draft capital just because I think there's there are some medical concerns that um, I don't think a lot of people are aware of with him. So I, I, and that's kind of come up a couple other times already just from other teams that have leaked that information. And so I think um, you know round four ish probably sounds about right for him. But that doesn't mean he can't succeed. I mean we just saw Damian Pierce smash with that kind of capital this year as well. Yeah, I agree. So to recap this and just the running backs in general um is your top five do you think that they're gonna go off the board in order or who do you think is drafted first and then second and then third and etc no i think uh honestly mojo does a great job of uh projecting where where players are going to go because like there's one, there's the metric side of things that, that helps predict the price. There's, two, there's people actually putting their money where their mouth is on these players. Uh, and, and three, there's a bunch of mock draft data informing the pricing as well. And so I think it's a good bet that the first four running backs off the board are going to be Bijan, uh, Tamir Gibbs, Jack, Zach Charbonnet, and Devin A-Chain. And, and, and it might be in that exact order. A-Chain because of the elite speed, Charbonnet because of kind of like the total package, but you know not being as elite as the other two in any regard. Uh, but beyond that, I think it's anyone's guess as to who could be the running back five. And I think that probably we kind of felt that just in, in our rankings. Like there's a lot of directions you could have gone in that running five, running back five slot. But, um, you know, if, if I were to guess, it would maybe be Zach Ab- and Zach Evans just because uh, back when he was a recruit, he was actually uh, the number one running back in this class, in his recruiting class over Bijan Robinson for the majority of the recruiting time but it, the only reason he wasn't at the end was because he was being a little bit of a drama queen uh and ended up not even declaring uh or committing until like may or june before his, uh, his college career kicked off and then kind of uh things didn't go perfectly at tcu um he got injured after having an immensely successful start to a sophomore season transfers to Ole Miss and then is outproduced by a true freshman in Quinchon Judkins this past year. And so that's like, wait, what's going on with this guy? Like he, he looks like the next Nick Chubb, but he's being outproduced by this so-and-so and is having to share carries with this so-and-so and then transferring. And is he, is he a head case? We don't know. But if an, if, if, if an NFL team is just going on upside and ability and avoids the potential red flags in his profile, they'll say, yeah, Evans is clearly a top five back in the class. And so it could be a surprise that he is the fifth back off the board. Uh, but you mentioned Jay, John uh, with uh, Izzy, Abanacanda, uh, uh, that guy. He's going to be 20 years old for most of his rookie year. Like he's incredibly young, incredibly fast, had like over 100 yards in all but two games this past year, including a 300-plus yard game against Virginia Tech this year. Uh, he, if, if some team looks at his athleticism, his age, his, his overall profile, they could – take him fifth overall uh, in terms of running back ranks as well. Yeah. No Roshan Johnson love, huh? Absolutely not. Not, 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 no uh, not as the, <laughs> not the fifth back. No, not as the run, not, not as the second back. I will say, you know, it's been a while since we've seen like a one, two punch come into the league and, and both find success or even like stick at all. Like, uh, you know, Joe Mixon and Samaje P Ryan, like that, that's what it reminds me of. Like Mixon, a lot of people had him as the running back one or potentially like running back two or three in that class. And, 
And Piran was like incredibly strong. Like he had that feature back build, but he wasn't necessarily a, a, a wow type prospect in any regard. He, he got like, you know, fifth round capital or whatever. He, he's still in the league today. I think Roshan sticks for a long time. I just am not sold on the upside when it comes to, uh, to his profile. Okay. You had the UNC running backs a couple of years ago. That was the first one that came to mind. We had Javante and, uh, and Michael Carter. Yeah. yeah and those, and body types. Those are, yeah, those are, yeah, that's, that, that's a similar situation. I just, I just felt like the, where they actually slot in his prospects to me, um, felt more in line with, with the Bijan and Roshan comp. Well, I mean, I'm surprised. Cause I, I don't know, man. I just look, I just watched Roshan and, he just he looks special, man. I'm not gonna lie. He he looks special. I think he he sticks around in the league and him being priced at like the 16th best running back. I, I'm definitely gonna invest and then put a lot of money into him. We're gonna yeah, come back. That's, that's what makes Mojo fun, man. Like you can like hey, uh, you can just be like hey, I don't I don't agree with that price. So I'm just gonna buy this price. You know, yeah. <laughs> so definitely just definitely just draft. I think when it comes to running backs outside of maybe like the top two three, it's like the beauties in the eye of the beholder with like oh, a yeah. lot of these guys. Oh, yeah. On to right. tight ends, which is probably more straightforward than uh, running backs because, you know, there are some good tight end prospects here, but I think that uh, after five, it kind of, there kind of is, is a drop-off. I would say probably after four, there's like a bit of a drop-off and like there's a lot of unknowns. So Mojo's top five is Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, Darnell Washington, Musgrave, and Laporta. For me, Mayer is the first tight end, the best tight end in the class. I think that Dalton Kincaid has more explosiveness. He's lighter, and although he is lighter, he is a willing blocker, but he reminds me a bit of, like, Mike Gesicki in a way, where I think Michael Mayer, although he's slower, he's more of, like, the down-to-down tight end. He's just going to move the sticks for you. It's not going to generate a ton of explosive plays like probably Kincaid could, but I I love the consistency of Mayer. And I'd rather bank on that and banking on his ideal tight end size than Kincaid. Darnell Washington is a beast. He's number three for me, and his athletic profile is insane. But the production for me just wasn't there. And on film, he didn't look like the athlete that tested at the combine. Like he, I didn't watch him and say, wow, Darnell looks like a freak on the field. His testing numbers show all of that. But on the field, it didn't really feel like he separated himself as an athlete. I think the big thing with Darnell, though, was that he can block really well. He's 6'7". He weighs 270 pounds. So if you're looking for a tight end to be a consistent pass catcher but also block well and be in a running scheme, then he can fit perfectly into that mold. Number four, I have Sam Laporta. I think that the receiving production is there at Iowa, and he looks like he has some like twitchiness to him. And number five, it, I was really struggling who I wanted to go here. I think Luke Musgrave looks good on tape, but he only had two games this past season, and then he got injured. So I think there are injury concerns with him. I actually went with Luke, Luke Shoon, Shoon, Shoonmaker from Michigan. I think that he's just a consistent tight end. And I'd rather bank on that than somebody that's injury riddled like uh, Musgrave. Okay, nice. How's, how's my audio, by the way? Is it any better? It's still messed up. John, you should just connect your you just connect your laptop, bro. <laughs> connect my laptop. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead with my uh, yeah, my Travis, you could go. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Michael Mayer has been like the tight end one, I think, for a long time in this class in terms of just consensus rankings. 
because uh, he was immediately productive at Notre Dame. He was a five-star coming in, so he was already impressive. Like, we knew he was going to just dominate. And Notre Dame is probably a top-five school in terms of producing uh, NFL tight ends, just historically speaking. And uh, and so, yeah, there were there were a lot of questions that he kind of had answered by, like, year two. We are like, okay, yeah, check. Uh, top 50 pick next year, no matter what. And then he followed it up with another 800-plus yard receiving season. So just in terms of, like, the production metrics that you want to uh, say um, – I want to see rather uh, he has every checkbox checked, like just green, like a conditional formatting compared to any, uh, anybody else in your Excel document, green, 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 all the way across. It's Michael Mayer. Like there's literally no questions when it comes to his profile and people are like, Oh, but he's not super athletic. Dude. He, he ran like, like four, seven or just under four, seven. Mm-hmm. And that's actually above average for tight ends. Like at the NFL combine average historically since 2000 is like four, seven, five ish. It's getting a little bit faster in recent years. Uh, but seriously, man, like that's he's fine. Like there's no real questions at all when it comes to Michael Mayer. Um, and after that, I mean, like I, I went with Darnell Washington as tight end too. Uh, and that be, that's mainly it's more of a projection from a production standpoint, like you said, Joel, because we didn't ha- see him have to produce a whole lot at Georgia. One, they don't they haven't really passed a lot. They did this year some, but they actually went uh, and targeted the tight end one for next year a lot instead of uh, Darnell Washington and uh, targeting Brock Bowers because he's the best tight end in the nation. And if he was draft eligible this year, he might've been tight end one anyway. So he had to share a lot of target load with, uh, you know, the, the best tight end prospect that's actually returning to college. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to knock him too much for the lack of production because he wasn't necessarily asked to be that guy. Um, but even coming into college, like he was, he could, they didn't know what to call him. So they, they gave him an athlete designation. It's like, well, he could be, an edge rusher. He could be a tight end. He could play any position on the offensive line if he books up. He's an absolute just freak. Like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, like he's just a, a monster. And and he comes in 278 pounds or whatever at the combine. He played bigger than that at Georgia. I think he's going to play bigger than that. It reminds me of like last year, uh, Jelani Woods. Uh, nobody. He wasn't really hyped at all because he played for Virginia, which had run well at the time. They ran a just bonkers weird scheme. Uh, but he was like six foot seven, 270 pounds, ran super fast, very similar. Uh, got day two draft capital because he was just a freak traits guy. Um, and it's, he had some production, but it was, again, in a weird scheme. But I think similarly, like the NFL just values guys that fit that archetype of just incredibly large human and is very athletic. And uh, he checks that and he has the pedigree dating back to high school. Uh, he just hasn't been asked to be a receiver that much, but I think he definitely can be. So he's two for me. Dalton Kincaid is such a weird projection because like had not Brent had not, had Brent Cuthy not got, gotten hurt, like we would not be talking about this. Like Dalton Kincaid would have been returning to school because he would not have been hyped at all because Cuthy actually caught more passes than uh, Kincaid did a year ago. And Cuthy goes down, all the tight end targets go to Kincaid. And so we're all hyped up about, about this guy who, you know, he, he played for UC San Diego when he came to college initially, transferred to Utah, accidentally got some snaps, you know, that, that's, that's being a little bit uh, harsh, but like it's, he was very close to not being talked about whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's very impressive that he was, you know, the most productive college tight end last year, but I just had more questions with his upside and athleticism than I think more people do. And we didn't even get verified testing numbers because uh, he was, you know, struggling with the, the injury. And so, yeah, I, I, he's my three just because of what he did last year. That was really special. And he's a contested catch artist. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, you know, more questions than answers with him. Uh, and then Sam Laporta is my number four. Uh, if you can get back-to-back 600 plus receiving yard seasons playing for the trash offense that is known as the Iowa Hawkeyes, 
props to you, man, because that offense, like they legit averaged, I think, less than 17 points a game or something. Last year, they, they uh, couldn't score an offensive touchdown against South Dakota State. I think that was the thing. So, uh, and yet he was still productive. Uh, and then fifth is Luke Musgrave, just the upside play with his athleticism because, yeah, again, like you said, we didn't see a whole lot last year, but he's got that four six one ish speed. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's rare to find tight ends that can win in man coverage, and it seems that Musgrave is that guy. So have you been surprised to see Dalton Kincaid mocked above Michael Mayer in a bunch of mock drafts? It, it feels like a lot of the top analysts are mocking Kincaid over Mayer. I know Daniel Jeremiah mocked Kincaid over Mayer. And he has yeah. him as like a top 20 pick in the draft. Yeah. And, and, and it, I think part of it is that there's a projection expected that, oh, he has, he's just scratching the surface uh, because, you know, he, he played basically no high school football and that's part of why he wasn't recruited. And so there's this idea that he could keep getting better and that's probably true. But um, I think that there's a lot more projection there than I think um, uh, there should be that people should be comfortable with, I guess if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It definitely depends what you're looking for in a tight end because there are so many different options in this class. Mayor, as you guys said, is the most complete balanced. He produced relatively well relative to Darnell Washington, who could have played right tackle with how much of a freak he is there. I am really high, though, on Dalton Kincaid because his ball skills are special. I mean, his vertical playmaking is really unique. It was a lot of fun to watch him in this last season where I feel like if you're looking for the most dynamic receiving threat, it would be him. As you talked about, he could be just scratching the surface 800 some yards this year. He's actually my tight end one because I'm, I prefer those tight ends personally, those big time playmakers who you can play at wide receiver. Obviously he's not a very good blocker on film. And if he puts on more weight, he may lose some of the athleticism. At number two, though, I have Michael Mayer, three Darnell Washington, four Sam Laporta, Iowa tight ends typically perform pretty well in the next level. And then five, there are a couple of guys. I want to shout Zach Kuntz, six foot seven, two fifty five, ran a four five forty and a forty inch vertical. He is an athletic freak. He was hurt this last year at Old Dominion, but I think if he can stay healthy as a developmental prospect, he could be a pretty good player of this class. But I went with Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State, another tight end that's very athletic, can block well, but was hurt this last year. Dallas, you're muted, man. We still can't hear you. My goodness, Dallas. You're folding. Oh, Just connect but, your laptop, bro. Glad you mentioned Koontz, by the way. Because he was <laughs> – and he wasn't like – people are like, oh, Dominion, what? Like, They don't make any NFL, NFL players. But he actually started at Penn State. Like, and the only reason he ended up at Old Dominion is because he followed his offensive coordinator who ended up getting head coaching job there. And so, like, there's a reason. Like, he's not just, like, this out-of-nowhere guy. He was a high-pedigree and top-notch athlete even coming into college. So – uh, glad you mentioned him. He's my tight, tight end six, but uh, no surprise if he ends up being maybe the most productive. Yeah, Zach Koontz is a freak, man. He's what, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, 251 pounds. Like, this guy is a freak. Um, somebody mentioned a good, good uh, comment here on the live stream. They're saying Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer is like Greg Dulcich versus Trey McBride. What do you think? Wait, who, which one's which again? <laughs> I, Greg Dosich is supposed to be Kincaid, and McBride is supposed to be Mayor. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I mean, I, I really like McBride. Like he had some silly stats that one year that uh, they only played four games, and he literally scored all of their receiving touchdowns. <laughs> uh, like, like he was. I, I'm still kind of high on McBride, and I think uh, in the same way, uh, both can find success. I definitely think uh, Kincaid. Um, 
is, is a better prospect than Dulcich was. But uh, yeah, I think it's just a little bit aggressive to mock, mock him like 10th or whatever that a you know, few people yeah. were doing at times. That's, that's a little bit much. But yeah, I, I think I like that in terms of uh, playing style and experience because Kincaid can even push things vertically, I think, a little bit like Dulcich did. Dulcich was one of the most efficient tight end prospects we've seen. Like he was, his, his ADOT was crazy. His like, yards per reception was insane, like 18, 19, 20. He was top five in the nation, I think, a couple times in terms of yards per reception at tight end. So yeah, that's interesting comps there yeah greg dosage was amazing man i love greg dosage last year he was my tight end one last year coming into the draft dells how do i sound yeah oh, oh my goodness go. can you just connect your laptop dude my fucking internet's bad <laughs> just connected it's gonna my... be a better move and dosage this year i think is kind of a big time season with the Russ. we saw that connection last yeah. year so i don't think it's gonna be all oh, great prospect in a pan out I think he could really shock some people. Some yeah, season. absolutely. I'm, I'm really high on Dulcich moving forward. So, Rev, what do you think about these tight ends? Yeah, I guess I'll go because um, Dells is acting funny. Um, I, I, I'm rolling with John to a degree. You know, I think Kincaid probably has – Kincaid and Darnell probably has the most potential out of all the tight ends. I think when you have two guys that are like mismatched nightmares that can create so much in the open field, I think those guys are the ones where you can kind of circle like, all right, these guys can change my offense. But I got my, my Michael Mayer at one because he's just a complete tight end. You know, if you want him to block, he can block. If you want to go out there and catch passes, you can catch passes. That's something you like when you can come, bring in a guy who's complete. You can probably put him in any scheme. Hey, Dels. You could probably put him in any scheme. You could probably fit him in any system. He'll be fine because he's pretty complete. So I have Myers at one. I have Darnell at two. I just think he's just a mismatched nightmare. He's just an athletic freak. You put him out there in the field, no matter who's guarding him, I think he can exploit that matchup, and that's something you want in your tight ends, pretty much another receiver that can just break the game and change the game. I got Kincaid at three. I think for, for a lot of things John said, you know, he's a guy who can catch contested passes. He can go out there. He can kind of be like Darnell in terms of being a mismatched nightmare. But like Travis said, there's a lot more question marks to a degree so you can't have – I don't think you can have him higher than three. And I think the guys below him aren't better than him. But my Myers and Darnell Washington, I think, are the comfortable one and two. And then number four, I have Sam Laporta. You know, for, I just think he gives you a lot of what you want, you know, in terms of you want to put him in overs, crossers, flats. He can do that for you. And then five, Luke – Miss is that how you say his name? Miss Grace. Combination of size and athleticism pretty much. He just has all of that with him. Mr. Dells. Hey, Dells. Rough day. Rough day. You're Can you hear me? You look yeah. great. Sound great. You sound better. Okay. It, it's a matter of time until my internet just goes out and you can't, and I freeze. Um, Man up. <laughs> one, here we go. Top five. I have Dawn Kincaid, number one. Um, Michael Mayer is number two. I do feel like they're kind of in a tier of their own with Darnell Washington being three, but starting off with Kincaid, I think Travis mentioned this as well, but I love his story right? Zero star recruit, played one year of high school football, started at San Diego, had to transfer to Utah. And more than anything, I just like my tight ends being athletic. And that's why he has the edge over Mayer. And Mayer is not like some slow poke who's not going to be able to use any athleticism. I just think Kincaid is more athletic. I also think he's a bit more versatile. Last season, he played 705 snaps, 376 were traditional inline 257 were in the slot, and he also had 50 snaps out wide. So I think you could line him up in a few different areas. So 
while, while he's mostly a tight end, I like the fact that he's kind of like a wide receiver type of build almost that he could use his athleticism to stretch the field. Um, he didn't test his 40, but just based off tape alone, I feel like he has pretty good speed. He could high point the ball. He could bring contested catches as well. And once he gets the ball, he has tremendous acceleration. I don't know if his top end speed is elite, but his acceleration right when he gets the ball, I feel like he puts his foot in the ground. He could pick up a lot of yards. Number two, as I mentioned, is Michael Mayer. He's kind of your typical old school tight ends, not in a negative way. If I had to compare him to someone in previous classes, he reminds me a lot of Pat Fryermuth. They're both 6'5", 270. They both ran around four sevens. They're both athletic, but aren't going to win consistently on their athleticism. Um, Michael Mayer, though, has been this guy basically since high school, a five-star recruit, produced right away as a freshman, 450 yards. Each year got better. Sophomore and junior season, 65-plus catches, 800-plus yards, and seven-plus touchdowns in each of the last two years. And I understand that, you know, Notre Dame didn't have a ton of target competition. But on the other hand, you also have to think when defenses are going to play Notre Dame, they know the number one option is Michael Mayer. And even with that, he was still able to produce and put up really good numbers um, while, uh, while at Notre Dame. Number three, Darnell Washington. Um, his number one trait is his size, 6'7", 270, ran a 4'6". The size and speed combination is something you don't really ever see. I mean, Kyle Pitts was 6'6", but I think he was like 240, right? So King, or uh, Washington has 30 pounds on him, is obviously going to come in right away. And I think he's be able to start because he's, I think you guys might mention, I think John, he's basically like a sixth offensive lineman. So even if right away he's not going to be able to be used as a pass catcher, or maybe he still has to develop as a pass catcher since he only has 45 career receptions, three career touchdowns. Um, I think as a blocker, he's going to have, you know, a spot on a roster spot starting in the NFL pretty soon. And I know that the production isn't always there, but if you go back and look at some of the best tight ends, like Gronk didn't have a really productive college career. Um, a lot of it, especially in college, is based on your scheme and based on how the offense is run. And, and for Washington, as Travis mentioned before, they have a tight end and Brock Bauer, who is probably going to be the number one tight end next season. He was a five-star recruit, so he was kind of uh, pushed to the side in more of a blocking type of role. Four and five are kind of toss-ups by Laporta and Musgrave. I have Laporta over Musgrave just because Musgrave, we didn't really get to see a lot out of him. 2020 was the COVID year. Um, he only played in a couple of games and they get 12 total catches that year. And then last season, he played two games and kind of had this like undisclosed knee injury. I'm not sure if we ever got like an exact thing of what ended up happening with him. But Musgrave, 6'6", ran a 4'6". You could see the physical tools um, and even in these two games this past season, he put up 180 yards in those two games. So you saw some of the traits you'd like to see, but I think I would have the Porter just a bit over him because I feel more confident in his floor. At least he's versatile. He had 20.5% of his snaps were out wide, which was the most of any tight end in the nation. He could line up in the slot or in line as well. He's much more of that short to intermediate type of game. Um, he had an average of a target of 7.1, which is pretty insanely low. It's a lot of slants, a lot of screens, ins and outs that are before the first down marker. Um, but he also, after the catch, is really good. 360 yards after the catch, which was third amongst tight end. 20 missed tackles, which is second among tight ends. So I, I know he didn't have um, the downfield ability like a guy like Kincaid or Washington can. But I think his short area ability to win is going to be valuable for teams. My biggest fear with Kincaid is that he is Hayden Hurst or Mike Gesicki. That's my biggest fear awesome. with him. And Hayden Hurst was a, a top prospect. I mean, he got drafted over Mark Andrews, yeah. and Hayden Hurst was supposed to be 
the Ravens tight end number one. But that's my biggest fear with Kincaid, where Michael Mayer, I think that we're just people just gotten bored of him because he's just been the model of consistency every single year. But I think he's the only tight end worthy of going in the first round, in my opinion, unless a team is willing to expand Darnell Washington's offensive role and they really bank on his projection. Because I think Darnell, if he hits like his absolute ceiling and, and peak, he could be the best tight end in this draft by far and away. But I think off of production and just projection on a realistic level, Mayer is tight end number one for me, a first rounder. Kincaid and Washington are day two guys. And I would love to see Michael Mayer go to Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. I think mm-hmm. if he's in Cincinnati with Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, I think that offense is going to be even better than what it has been in years past. And you're going to hear a lot of Joe Burrow. I like Mayer's floor for sure. Like Mayer, like you said, first round pick. Because he's baby Gronk. He's very safe. Like he's, I don't think he'll ever be a top three tight end in the league, but year one, he's going to come in and he could have 500 yards, right? So, so, so he's like Zach Ertz. Yeah, that's going to play a large role, I think, in his, his draft. He could definitely be better than Dallas Goddard. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do. And he really just comps like Zach Ertz. Maybe. Like, he just he just looks like steady Eddie. Like, he can do literally anything and everything and is going to be in the league for, like, 12 years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think – I don't know. Kincaid is good, though. I love I like his explosiveness, explosiveness but part of me is just kind of scared that, like, what if this guy's just Hayden Hurst? What if he's just Mike Gesicki, you know? What Those makes you think of Hayden players. Hurst for his comp? Because I look at Dalton's hands, especially for somebody that's only been playing for four years. I'm just like, this guy's a natural. Hayden Hurst is explosive, and he's somebody who is that mismatched guy. He can line up in different places, but he's not a good blocker at all. He's a liability in the, in the run game. And I think Kincaid, in college, he struggled on film blocking. In the NFL, even though he tries, there's only so much you can do. You know, even if you try, he, I just don't think he's he's strong enough to block at the next level. So that already kind of limits what he can be in your system. Yeah, everyone's going to have roles. If whoever drafts Kincaid, probably have to draft him day two. You draft him knowing that he's not going to come in and be an elite blocker. So his role is should be more pass catching, receiving slot work as, as a big slot. Um, but I understand. Mayer is more well-rounded. Washington's the best blocker out of all of them, probably has the highest upside. It's just a matter of you have to, and it's like anything else, any other position, whatever team he goes to, you hope they have a creative offensive coordinator who's going to use them to their strengths. Because if you park Darnell Washington out there and you you try to use him like he's fucking Kyle Pitts, it's probably not going to have a great rookie year, right? You could hope over time that he could become that athletic freak plus have the receiving ability. Um, but right now I think all of these guys – have have positive traits, some elite traits. You're just really banking on that OC being able to, you know, bring that out of them. Yeah, I agree. Now, Travis, before you go, any sleepers that you're going to be investing in on Mojo during this draft season? Who do you think is going to rise up the most from now until the draft? You know, it'll be interesting. Uh, it, it's funny. I it, With my role and, and how, what I do, I can't even technically say like, hey, I would invest in this player. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> But I will say it, it's just interesting to see all, like how quickly some of these players have been moving. Uh, I mean, like we mentioned uh, Ty J Spears earlier, like we've, we've seen, I mean, Dalton Kincaid has risen like, like crazy. Like, I mean, faster than almost anybody else. Um, he is, like you said, the, uh, like we talked about earlier, the tight end two on the platform and, you know, if the buying action keeps on rolling, I'm not sure that's going to stop, uh, especially if he actually gets first round capital. 
But um, it, it will be interesting just to watch it because this tight end class overall uh, is one of the best we've seen in recent memory, maybe maybe the best in terms of the depth of the class. And so because of that, we could see you know five of these guys get going like the top 50-ish picks. Like there, there have been mocks where that happens. And so if that actually comes to fruition, like all five of these guys are going to see an uptick in their price. And so we could see the entirety of the top tier of this tight end class see uh, their prices rise, which is not normal for the typical draft class. We usually see a few guys that dip and uh, on, on draft day because we don't see as many of these guys go early. But this guy's really, it, it could seriously happen. And yeah. uh, and so, but guys in the in like that second and third tier at the position at tight ends, and I'll, I'll get to running backs in a second. But in that second and third tier, like Will Mallory tested really well out of Miami, and his current price point, he's been rising. Uh, he's under three dollars, and so. If he gets early capital somehow, that would be another player who could, who could go um, sky high. I'm not sure where he'll be selected, but he's already been rising. Um, you know, you mentioned Schoonmaker uh, at Michigan. Uh, he's been somebody that his price has dipped a little bit, but it's into a range now. If he gets that capital, uh, he could definitely go and see a, a price uptick as well. Davis Allen of Clemson has been rising. He, he doesn't have a long-term um, career at, even at the tight end position, but uh, he's, he's somebody who's already been rising. And again, if he's, Drafted very early at all, there's huge upside and potential to see the price double, if not more, at the tight end position. So lots of guys in this class that could see day two or better capital, uh, could see like eight plus, you know, like that would be super weird, but it could happen. And so that's that's what's intriguing with these tight ends. But the running backs, like I said, we've, we've known this class is super deep for a long time. But you mentioned Rashawn Johnson. He's, he's like running back 15 in terms of price on Mojo right now. Uh, we're not going to see 15 guys go inside uh, round two and three. It, it just doesn't happen anymore. Like it, we typically see like eight, nine, 10, you know, something like that. Um, there's just a bunch of guys in that conversation. But if you identify the correct one, like, I mean, e- even guys like Eric Gray that have, we didn't even, we didn't even get to him, but he's like two years removed from being in the running back one conversation uh, in, in a class because of what uh, his potential was. Um, and, and he's actually under $4 right now. Like there's a, there's a number of guys like the speed of, of Keaton Mitchell out of Eastern East Carolina, uh, the overall balance of the profile of an Evan hole of Northwestern, uh, Dwayne McBride, even UAB, UAB running back. Yeah. We didn't mention him. And there's, there's some people that really love him. So a bunch of guys that are even cheaper than your, your boy, Roshan Johnson on Mojo that are, are at super interesting price points. And if they do get earlier capital than currently expected, uh, yeah, there's there's opportunity for a, a big boom uh, to their price and and uh, some free value. My hot draft take is Roshan Johnson, top seven running back selected in the draft. Mm-hmm. That'd be that great. Could happen. That, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. yeah, that would be a really stark jump from hit for him. Yeah, I think it can. Zay Flowers, somebody else, has also been moving a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, when we we just IPO'd like sixty three more rookies here recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Zay Flowers was the biggest and uh, mover and the fastest mover that I think we've had since I started in terms of college football players. Like just a bunch of people jumping in early, confidently saying, "Oh yeah, Zay, I'm all in on Zay." And so uh, he's he's been rising, and uh, so that is not sure how much further he's going to rise before the draft. But if he gets, you know, like let's say he goes ahead of a guy like Jordan Addison, like you mentioned, some doubts with him, or if he goes ahead of a guy like Quentin Johnston, Mister AJ Green slash. Uh, body catcher, I guess. Yeah, it, it, the body catching edge of green. That's 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 who Quinn is. Uh, you know, if he goes ahead of any of those guys, um, yeah, his price could spike as well. So, uh, lots of opportunity yeah. to be had. 
uh, on Mojo. It's just fun uh, working on like a sports stock market. It's something that I've always thought would be cool if it existed, and now I work for it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So before you go, Travis, uh, anywhere people can find you, shout out anything you want to shout out, your the floor is sure. yours. Absolutely. So I mean, you can find me on Twitter at ff underscore Travis M, and uh, yeah. All my just ramblings you can find there, but uh, I don't really do much content anymore. That's how I kind of got this gig in the first place. Uh, but I, all my written stuff you can find at Mojo. Anytime we have a big release, you might find something outlining a bunch of new players uh, there with the written work. And then you can find my my podcast, which is actually the College to Canton podcast. Uh, I do that with uh, my buddy uh, Virto of his radio, uh, Stefan Leco. And so uh, we talk up everything from you know, college football recruiting to college football to college fantasy to NFL fantasy to, you know, discussions as to who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So it's just everything football. So if you love college or NFL, you'll love that show. All right. Sounds good. And I'll be sure to message you once Roshan is in the third round <laughs> drafted. <laughs> Feel free to, yeah, you know how to find me, man. <laughs> All right. I'll see you. Have a nice day, Travis. Appreciate, yeah, you, appreciate you guys. Man, you know. I was expecting you to be high on Roshan Dells. Me? Yeah. I, I like Roshan. Um, Johnson, uh, baby. A lot of it, especially for running backs, is – I mean, I guess it's more of a fantasy. But draft capital matters a lot, right? Um, I know, obviously, you have, like, the Isaiah Pacheco's who could bounce, who could just – a seventh-round pick could just spark out of nowhere. Um, I'm interested to see where he gets drafted. If he gets – if he's a day-two pick, all of a sudden, I'm loving Roshan Johnson, right? Um, but as a prospect – I think it shows a lot about his character, staying at Texas behind Bijan. You know, he's a hard worker. He wants to – he loves Texas. He wants to be there, even though he's not getting a ton of opportunity. Um, but I would have loved to see more opportunity, right? You mentioned the six yards per carry. It's the same as Bijan, but the, the attempts are significantly less. So it's great that he kept up that production. Um, but can he do it in a workhorse-type role that I think you're expecting him to? Respect so, him, Dells. Respect I, him. Respect. I, he was an honorable mention for me. And there, there's a reason why his price is lower. It's because of production. That's it. But you put, I guarantee you put Roshan. What do you think? He's, man, you put Roshan Johnson on any of these motherfucking teams that these Go other ahead. running backs were on. He does better than them. It's a fact. <laughs> Roshan Johnson is a beast. I don't disagree. I just wish we would have saw it. Like I, I respect his, you know, he's sticking to it. But oh, no, I saw it. I saw it. I tell trust me, Dallas. I saw it. I saw there were times where he looked better than Bijan himself. Can That's what stop? I saw. Can he looked stop? better than Bijan himself. Let's, and you want to and you want to and you want to doubt Mr. Roshan Johnson? Relax, Dells. Relax. Relax. Can we can we relax? Let's <laughs> be so serious. No, there were times he looked better. I, there were times I said, "Listen, what's the difference when this guy's in the game with Bijan?" Oh yeah, I, I guess if, looks that I guess good. If you Roshan get five hundred carries between both of them, Roshan's gonna look better on ten of them, right? Like it's bound to happen. Like, listen, does you're just being disrespectful? I'm not having think he's better than B. I mean, you didn't say he was better. You just saw there was moments. I mean, I there was some play. There was some plays where there was the Zeke and Pollard effect. I'm like, yo, who's this backup that is better than this this starter? You've got to respect Bijan, man. He's one of a kind. I think Bijan's generational. He could be the best running back prospect since who? He's in the Saquon tier. He's not even Brees Hall, man. Let's be real. That elusiveness he has in the vision is on another level, man. He's a better prospect than Brees. No, yeah, Bijan is amazing. Brees Hall is a better prospect. What are we doing? (laughs) Brees Hall, baby, go. You're a Jets fan. You're a Jets fan, Dallas. 
I was pushing Brees last year. Don't get me mm. wrong. I was mentioning him with fucking Adrian Peterson and stuff. But uh, to say he's better than Bijan, ugh. So just a guy that you count to Adrian Peterson saying he's better than Bijan, you're like, huh? No, I was serious. Are you serious? I had to push my Brees agenda you for. I forgot what we were doing. It might have been rookie of the my year. Goodness. I think it was breakout running back. And I was like, I think it was his speed score or his athletic score and next gen stats. It was like him, Adrian Peterson, Saquon, and I was trying to push it. Would have so, been right. But you know what you want real quick? Mm-hmm. Bichon, he could be like uh, Alvin Kamara, where he had to transfer out of Alabama behind Damian Harris, Kenyon Drake, and Derrick Henry. And then, you know, fourth round pick breaks out. We'll see. You said Bichon, not Roshan. For, for I meant Kamara. I mixed the two of them up. What the hell? I don't know. What NPC Santos, stop Roshan? changing the time. You heard that, John? Stop changing the time. Man. We started early, didn't we? No, we didn't. Smear 60, Rivers, my hero. He's my hero, too. Charles Gibson, Carter, defensive tackle from Georgia, commented going to hurt his draft. And also his pro day hurt him really bad. What, what comment did he have? I don't know the comment, but I know that his pro day was very poor. And he's not taking any visits outside the top 10, which is interesting. He's the best player in the class. He is, but once you have legal troubles and then a bad pro day... You kind of lose some leverage there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I, I don't think yeah. he's going to slip too far, personally. Nah, I don't. I don't think he gets you know slipped out of the top ten either. But uh, I don't know if you just say I'm not taking any business if you're not in the top ten. So, so now, before we go on to the next topic, for one, make sure you guys like this video, and also, you know, Austin Reeves is a new player that Mojo just added onto their app. Oh my god! So you can now invest into Austin Reeves if you're interested in that. Rev, you're interested? Fuck no. What's I know John is. You know, John thinks he's, you know, the, he could be the best player on the championship team. You know, real quick, I know it's a football show, but I think we've all overlooked his ability in pick and roll to get guys going. To see a Wayne running pick and roll, creating offenses, teammates, scoring from all three levels, the pick and roll ability for him, that's a very unique skill. You know what? At $73 for Austin Reeves, huh? I would, so I would invest in him. What did you okay. say, Adels? I'm I'm curious where you think Austin Reeves is because every time we bring him up, it's an eye roll, it's a side. I've uh, never heard we talk about Austin Reeves more than Donovan Mitchell, and that's a legit do. problem. We do. Like we he do. is a role player. We have not seen him play a playoff game yet. And we talk about him more than stars. Like, what are we doing? Like, I don't even like Brandon Ingram, but he's been on a tear. And we keep talking about Reeves more than you Brandon know what? Ingram. Reeves playmaking like Brandon though, Ingram, to be honest with you. Ingram's the best playmaking forward in the game, at least. Among wings and Reese could get to that level and pick and roll. See, look, he oh, what are we doing, John? Get there. <laughs> I think uh, the listen. The Lakers are winning so much they're gonna fuck around, and play the Suns round one. I've just never seen us. They're the seventh seed right now with two games left. They can, I thought they were six. No, what if they went in, dropped them to seven? I've never seen us gloat about a role player so much on this show. Like Joel does it with PJ Tucker. It's like funny and jokey and whatnot, but like. Dog, we talk about this man like he the second yeah. cover to Michael Jordan. I mean, PJ Tucker's won the championship. <laughs> yeah, Giannis won the championship. No, but who was the guy guarding KD in the series? KD averaged thirty-five. <laughs> That's KD though. Who so was the guy, who was who, PJ Tucker was locked down defense. They went to seven. He's heart and soul of the team. That's why they didn't win the championship the very next year. Night. I'll give you that. PJ Tucker went to Miami. What they do? Went to the conference finals. Took the Celtics to seven. Should have beat them. That's what PJ Tucker does. Beat them? That's, what, that's what it does. They lost at their home court. Game seven was in Miami. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. 
Like, maybe you're a raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Now, there was a report that came out that DeAndre Hopkins and the Cardinals, the Cardinals might just end up cutting him because right now what's holding back a trade is draft compensation. The Cardinals want a package similar to what the Panthers got for Christian McCaffrey. And just to summarize that, McCaffrey went for a second, third, fourth, and fifth round pick. And there's no team that's willing to give that type of capital for DeAndre Hopkins, mostly because we see Brandon Cooks get traded for a fifth round pick. We see Jalen Ramsey go for a third round pick and then the backup tight end. So I doubt that the Cardinals get the ideal return for Hopkins, but I think that it would be dumb to just like outright cut him. Like I think a fourth round pick is better than no pick if you have to trade him. So I don't know what's the, what the holdback is here, but you know, DeAndre Hopkins is still one of the top receivers in the game, 10th in yards per game. And when Kyler Murray was healthy, he was third in yards per game. And I would love to see him to go to, to one of these contenders, like the Chiefs or the Bills and give Stephon Diggs a receiver opposite of him that is elite. The Ravens, if Lamar stays, but that's looking unlikely. And then in the NFC, man, what if the Cowboys make another splash move? Oh, and then they, they just say, they you know, they got cooks. Need that. They got cooks. They got digs. And then they got <clears throat> Hopkins. You're not stopping that, Dells. You You're not that. stopping you that, that to push the Cowboys. Why didn't you say C.D. Lamb? You're just saying the moves they made this offseason. Yeah. Cooks, digs. You said digs. Oh, Gilmore, no, I said I Gilmore. No, you, no, you said, said Diggs, but you, you said Diggs. Oh, Gilmore. But listen, Cooks, Hopkins, C.D. Lamb. You're not that's stopping that riff. I, no, I agree. That's a you're tough, not stopping that Dallas. That's a tough. Nasty you're not stopping that. Rims the Eagles fan. I don't he said know Rims. You're not Dallas. stopping that. No, he said my name. He said my name first. Okay. He said Rims. Um, I just think D Hop's kind of old. You know, this isn't like uh, I, I like I think if this was D Hop and he was 27 years old, I think the market would look a lot different. You know, especially like giving a guy of that age a big contract is kind of tough. And D Hop's dealt with injuries. You know. Like, he's dealt with legal problems. He's dealt with injuries. So this isn't a healthy D-hop. You know, this is a guy who, if he does play, we know he's giving you 80 to 100 yards, eight receptions, probably a touchdown. But there's a chance he does not play the next week. You know, injury concerns, legal problems, his age. So these aren't, like, these are big concerns. So I, I, I can understand, like, DJ Moore, CMC were different packages. They were younger, much younger players. You know, CMC does have injury concerns, but he's a much younger player. So I think the age thing is really big. Um, I wouldn't say cut him though. I think Arizona can still get something for D Hop if they lower the price. You know, I think if they lower the price a little bit, you can still gain something from D Hop. And there's no point in cutting him because you, you know, you, you have to build up some sort of assets. You have to keep building, keep climbing. You pretty much have Kyler Murray, who's probably not going to play for most of next year. You have a pretty naked defense. You know, you lost Byron Murphy, JJ Watt retired, and stuff like that. You just have Buda Baker and others. You know, offensively, you re-signed Robbie Anderson, but that that's okay. Rondell Moore is 5'9". You don't want him to be your number one. A.J. Green retired. So you don't have a receiving core. Your offensive line stinks. Your running backs aren't that good. So you're pretty much just Kyler Murray and others. So it's like you're pretty much stuck in a position where you need as many draft picks as you can get 
and you have to bulk up the defense through the draft. You have to go get money. You paid Kyler Murray, so his contract is going to kick in soon. So that's going to be a big issue. The Cardinals are pretty much just stuck in kind of like limbo right now. And it's not a it's not nothing where they can't get themselves out of, but you have a new coach also too. So now you have to figure that out and see how good he is. They're just really in a place where there's no in like real direction and they kind of have a lot of things holding them back. The Cardinals are in a really tough spot. Um, I mean, obviously you get a new head coach, Jonathan Gannon comes in. Um, but as Rip mentioned, Kyler's going to be out basically the whole year. So if this was a team that didn't have a quarterback on the roster or maybe had a quarterback we were questionable about who didn't have a big contract, I feel like the future is a bit more clear. For the Cardinals, though, this upcoming season, they have the third overall pick. I could really be in favor of trading back in extra picks, but also if you want Will Anderson or Jalen Carter and you just think one of those guys could be a Hall of Fame-level player, go for it and, and don't get cute. Um, but the future is what scares me the most because this Cardinals team is going to be terrible. The NFC's ass. It's, it's the worst conference. This is the worst we've seen the NFC in a long time. And they might be the worst team in the <laughs> NFC. So what makes that tricky is this time next year, it's very possible the Cardinals are holding a top five pick, top three. They could they could legitimately be the worst team in the NFL next season. We don't even know who their starting quarterback is going to be. So they could be in a situation where – they have a top two or three pick. They could get one of these top prospects, but you already have Kyler Murray under contract and trading him would have such a huge dead cap hit that it probably doesn't make a lot of sense financially to trade him. And then maybe next year you could trade down and get a boatload of picks. But for at least this next season, it's hard for me to sit here and really look at the state of the Cardinals and be have a positive outlook. We, we're not going to know if Jonathan Gann's a good coach year one. I don't think we're, anyone's expecting the Cardinals to have a great defense given their personnel. So if he ends up having a bottom five defense, are we going to look at the players or are we going to look at the coach? More likely, we're going to look at the players. Then offensively, without a quarterback, they're not going to score a lot of points. So again, it's hard to look at the offensive coordinator that he's bringing over and say, can he actually call plays or is he just you know a product of his team where he doesn't have really any skill position players and coaches? So the Cardinals right now is just in a really tough situation that it's hard to evaluate your new head coach and staff. And it's also your future is kind of murky because you like Kyler Murray. Are they in love with him like Joe Burrow? Probably not to the sense that he's their locked and loaded quarterback for the next 10 years, but they kind of paid him like that already. So it's tough to move off him. Um, talk about D hop real quick. I have four spots in mind. Um, two feel a little bit more realistic or one feels more realistic. That's the chiefs. I think they need an outside presence desperately. You have Travis Kelsey there, Juju left in free agency. Um, this Tony, uh, Sky Moore, okay. There's um, Tony's ready for a breakout. But maybe, but D Hop would set that team to another level. The other one's the Giants. They got Waller. It feels like that's the only move they're really going to make in terms of splash moves. Um, but I do think they need another weapon desperately. I don't think Darren Waller, Saquon, and you know the, the surrounding pieces with Sterling Shepard is really enough to get the most out of Daniel Jones. You're going to be able to get, I think, a similar season to last season. But I don't think Daniel Jones is going to be able to level up with just Darren Waller, who's dealt in the last two seasons. I think these last two teams are kind of outliers or maybe teams that aren't being talked about. One is the Carolina Panthers. Um, first of all, I don't know if D-Hop is going to be interested in going there. If he's a free agent, they're not going to compete. But I love the idea of getting your quarterback, whether it's Shroud, Young, whoever, get him legitimate number one wide receiver. They traded DJ Moore, bringing in D-Hop gives someone that he can rely on every single week, every single game, every single throw to be able to make that 50-50 contested catch, to be able to beat man coverage, to be able to find the soft spot in the zone. 
to trade for him is going to be hard. They don't have a lot of draft picks. And if he gets cut, he probably won't choose the Panthers. But I like that spot. Then the last one's the Jaguars. I know they just got Calvin Ridley. They gave up a second-round pick, I want to say. But you have to take advantage of Trevor Lawrence being on a rookie contract. Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk, it's fine. It's a really good duo. You add DeAndre Hopkins, you're talking about one of the best wide receiver trios in the entire NFL. You have Trevor Lawrence, who's already shown he could be a top-seven quarterback. So with DeAndre Hopkins, he could take an MVP-type level leap next season if they're able to get that done. I just don't know if they're going to be aggressive enough to go out and trade for him because then once you get into free agency, D-Hop might like Jacksonville's situation, Florida, no state income tax. But then if you have the options like the Chiefs and the Bills, I have a feeling that he's going to lean uh, those two teams over Jacksonville. D-Hop in Jacksonville would be absolutely disgusting, but I think the reason why no one's acquired him is because he's got $22 million, he got $30 million cap hit and a $22 million dead cap. So for the Cardinals to cut him would be a massive L because a top 10, top 15 receiver at his worst. But I also feel like D-Hop, we've yet to see him in the playoffs with a real quarterback. In 2021, he was hurt after undergoing new surgery. I would love to see him with Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, but for Arizona, they need to get something in return for a receiver that is going to take Kyler Murray to a whole different level. And so I'm really hoping, selfishly as a football fan, they cut him so they can go to a real team like the Chiefs that don't have the cap spending to then trade for him. But at the same time for Arizona, cutting him would be such an L here. Cutting a top 15 receiver who's got a $22 million dead cap. There's just no win there whatsoever. I think that the Cardinals would save $19.5 million if they cut D-Hop post-June 1st. Post, you could do the designation. Yeah, I was looking at spot rack. So $22 yeah, so, million dollar dead cap. So I think they'd save money if they cut him post-June 1st. But listen, the, the bottom line, when we, talk, when we talk about the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals are the worst team in the NFL. They are in the worst position for the future in the NFL. They're paying a quarterback that we're not even sure is a legitimate franchise quarterback, 200 plus million dollars. Kyler Murray, yes, he has the talent and the skill, but the intangibles, the leadership, we're not sure it's all there. The offensive line stinks. If they cut or trade D-Hop, they have no number one wide receiver. Hollywood Brown is their best receiver. They have no running back. Their defensive line sticks. They missed on two linebackers in the first round in Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. They just let go of Byron Murphy. He's in Minnesota. That was their best corner. The Cardinals lack talent. They lack future assets. And the best thing for them going forward is possibly stinking and trading a top three pick that is going to be a quarterback to one of these quarterback needy teams and getting a boatload of draft picks. But the bottom line is that the Cardinals are directionless. And the worst part about it is that their coach, Jonathan Gannon, I think is going to be a disaster. He's going to be one of the worst coaches in football and the Cardinals with paying collar, big, big time contract with having one of the worst coaches in the NFL. This is going to be a dumpster fire. And I think the worst part is you have to almost wait on a rebuild because, listen, they may trade the picks this year, right? It's possible they trade the number three overall pick and get those, uh, you know, future assets. But the biggest asset you're going to get is likely going to be in the 2024 draft. When you have all of those quarterbacks, you'll likely have a top five pick again. And depending on whichever way they go, whether that's Kyler Murray or the quarterback, it feels like next year really might be the year they reset and, and really start that rebuild. Gannon, like I talked about earlier, I'm not the highest on him. I, I don't love defensive-minded head coaches if you could get an offensive-minded guy. Um, but I, I don't think it's kind of unfair to say he's going to be a disaster because this might be the worst roster in the NFL without Kyler Murray. So while I agree, 
he's not a slam dunk hire, at least from the outside point of view. Like we loved Brian Dable last year. We thought that was a home run hire. This doesn't feel like that. But I also don't think it's fair to say he'll be a disaster because the team sucks. Like it's the worst situation. Great coach, there's only so much you can do. I mean, I think it's fair to say that it's going to be a disaster because they talked. They like talked. They, they talked to Luana Rumo, and they could have hired him instead of Jonathan Gannon. And they chose Jonathan Gannon over Luana Rumo, who is a better defensive coach and who is a better defensive game planner. That's for one. When we talk about Jonathan Gannon, I mean, Dells, he could have fooled you thinking that that defense was going to maybe stop the Chiefs and Bowl. He ain't fooled me, baby, because the, the Eagles against I top said, I said they were the, stop the, the Eagles against top offenses and against top quarterbacks were ridiculously awful. They, they were, were they the were horrendous. They were awful. You picked the Eagles to win Bowl, baby, and you lost. Yeah, lost that because you, you trusted Jonathan Gannon. And I'm here to tell you. You can't, you can't trust that man, right. Jonathan Gannon. You can't trust him. Yeah, but I still think even no matter what coach in that situation is still going to be a disaster regardless. That's just a horrible situation. It's so hard. Lou and Arumo wouldn't have been a disaster. What, is Lou, what would he – how many what wins did do they he have do? with Gannon? How many wins do they have with Lou? Lou and Arumo is legitimately the best defensive game planner in football. He's how, many, how many wins do they Sean have with Lou? But look at the roster. How many wins will they have with Gannon? Their defense One would definitely more. be better. Jonathan Gannon fooled all the odds. I think the Eagles' defense was actually oh, a lead. Joel, he's not going to change he the fooled you. win he loss you. record. Who do the Cardinals have on defense? He fooled you. Not Who do the Cardinals players. have? Isaiah Simmons? Not many players, but I, I count on Lou and Arumo to unlock those players to more than Gannon. That's all I did in Cincinnati. He That's was probably the best defensive coordinator I mean, in football altogether. Before Luana Rumo, did you know about Jermaine Pratt? Did you know about Logan Wilson? Did you know about uh, Chi, Chi, Awuzie became a top corner in Cincinnati? I mean, what Eli Apple became a starting level corner, a real good corner in Cincinnati. What are we talking about here? Luana Rumo. Defense listen, actually I, I think Lou's the better defensive coordinator for sure. But for this Cardinals team, it feels like it's really hard for any coach to come in and we feel great about it because the roster is just torn apart. Okay, we, we okay, the roster, yes, but in terms of coaching and direction, we knew Jonathan Gannon was a bad hire. Jonathan Gannon was a horrible hire. He's somebody that's been a two, he, he's been a defense quarter for two years, and the Eagles defense has not been good against good competition in those two years. You can argue the biggest problem with Philadelphia was Jonathan Gannon, and that's why when he left the Eagles, Eagles fans were throwing a parade because they knew they just upgraded by subtracting his ass. Damn. I don't disagree, but I just don't know if Lou uh, – I don't know if he changes the outcome or the future of the Cardinals like you think. I feel He'll be a better defensive coordinator. Maybe he could develop the guys better. But if you have this team with really no quarterback and defense that doesn't have much talent – I don't know if Lou is making this. Well, Kyler Murray, Kyler, Kyler Murray, come if Kyler Murray's back and he's healthy, I definitely feel more confident in Lou in a room with Jonathan Gannon. But there's a chance, like Kyler's going to be out at least the first month this season, probably longer. And now That's you're relying on games. him. You're relying on him coming back middle of the season, the year after an ACL tear for quarterbacks. Usually, don't have the same production. It's really year two that they get back to their prior injury type of production so even with Kyler back this season I don't think we're going to see the same Kyler Murray we saw pre-injury I think we'll see that in 2024 all I'm saying is that although you want to give Gannon the benefit of the doubt it was a bad hire to begin with I didn't love it I didn't love it but also I don't know if Lou is drastically changing the direction of this franchise with all due respect I I feel much more confident in Rumo. if he was if he was the coach for this team I'd say you know what they're going to be a competitive four or five win team 
And, and with Devin, what are they? A two-win team? That's They're probably a two-win team. That's but that's team. if if Kyler Murray's healthy, I would I would feel confident the Cardinals to be a seven-plus-win team next year. Set. Dude, that team's the team even with Kyler. Kyler's great. You just said they're the worst team in the league. <laughs> but you look at Luana Rumo and what he's done schematically, he's gonna make any offense he goes up against work. And it's gonna be a, a manageable game for the offense. Yeah, but That's they have no saying. but they have no offensive line and they have no receivers. They Kyler Murray's had no offensive line since he's been a rookie. He's been fine. But he's coming off an injury, bro. It's different. He's coming he's off an injury, it's not the same. Year. Yeah, but still, even with the bad offensive line, when Kyler Murray's had at least some yes. times, the offense can move. Pre-injury, though. This is a post-injury Kyler Murray. So you're saying the, the ACL is just going to ruin his no, entire it's ability? No, it's just going to no, take him a year, year to get to get back into the swing of things. Why would it take him a year to get into back of, back into the swing of things? Historically, it usually takes That's, that's how most year. players are. Historically, Joe Burrow didn't happen. Didn't happen with him. Joe Burrow is not. He the made the Super Bowl a year removed from an ACL. He's I understand. Like I understand. Burrow's an outlier. Burrow also had but Jamar still. Chase, T. Higgins, and people. He actually had people to throw the ball to. Are you yeah, discounting Joe Burrow now? No, Stop discounting Joe Burrow. No, no, you're trying to compare Joe Burrow to Kyler Murray. Are you discounting? No, I know Joe Burrow's way, but I'm no, just I saying, agree with you. The talent gap. Is I, I, I just don't agree with the fact that just because Kyler Murray's coming off an injury, he's going to be garbage. No, he's going to take some time. You're talking about what, the Arizona Cardinals. He'll be good. He'll be good still. He'll be a good quarterback still. They wouldn't win seven games, bro. You know how many games is seven games? They can beat the Rams twice. Why can't they? Where does number five wins coming from, though, Joel? They can – okay, they let's can. look at the schedule. Let's go look at the schedule real quick. Uh-huh. They can definitely beat the Rams twice. The Rams suck. They can also lose they're to the Rams. the Rams twice. They can literally That's, lose to if the Rams. If they had Lou – I'm talking about they had Lou in a room. Yes, I agree. They can lose to the Rams. That's Stafford a division game. Back and he's healthy. They're not beating them twice. That's a division game, brother. Stafford was horrible last year. He was talking about You're talking about Kyler, and Stafford has no adjustment to his elbow and injury? No, I didn't say that. What are we talking about here? But still, he was – there was a lot going on with Stafford. They face, they face, they, they're facing the Rams in Seattle twice. You don't think they can they can at least split that? So, wait, wait, wait. They can split with Seattle, but they'll sweep the Rams? I don't get that. That doesn't make sense. I think they'll sweep with the Rams. So, they'll split with the Rams in Seattle. I think they can do that. I That's think, two I wins. think it's possible. Okay. That's can, they beat, can they beat Washington with Kyler Murray? Eh, Maybe. Probably. Can they beat Pittsburgh with Kyler Murray? No. Nah. Well, of course, you're going to say that, Pittsburgh's John. a touchdown favorite in that game. Uh, I don't think so. Touchdown. And my and, and don't Kyler? forget the, the, the Niners sweep them two games. They beat them twice. They can we beat take the Giants. Care of Kyler before we take care. I guess of with, with Kyler, they're like a four-point favorite. They can they, they face Atlanta, Chicago, Houston, the Giants, and the Steelers. Those oh, are like the, those are the games on the schedule that. Oh yeah, so I don't, Chicago are winnable for sure. But they can they can be wins. Chicago, Houston, mm-hmm. Atlanta. That's three wins. If they split with Seattle and the Rams, that's five wins. They can beat the Giants at six they, wins. They can't beat the Giants. They cannot beat the Giants. They can beat Washington can at seven all wins. Struggle. We could argue the opposite and say they can't beat the Giants. They're not being Pittsburgh. Chicago okay. is better. Houston's but we can, but we can. Okay, but we can also say so. Worst case scenario, they don't win those games. But we can also say that they could win those games. So best case scenario, they can still win seven games. All I'm saying is that they're they they are not this team that just cannot win these games if they have Kyler Murray healthy. You got with, we with a good defensive back. coach because I think Jonathan Gannon is not a good. Good defensive coach. We so don't know with the good defensive coach. Now I'm if pretty Kyler's sure the Giants game, Houston, Chicago, then all those easy games with the back. If Kyler, if Kyler comes back in the second half of the season, and most of those easy games are in the second half of the season, uh, yeah, they I, can definitely win. But my what only thing is, is who, who on the defense is he? 
putting out on the field and making better. Like, who on the defense outside of Buda Baker is good? Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins do have untapped potential. You just said they missed those two linebackers. They missed. They missed. They missed. They were first round picks. They were first round picks. You have untapped. Well, you just said they missed them before. Isaiah Simmons, he is average. For a first round pick, he's a bust. But if he was a third rounder, it's an okay pick. Zayvon Collins is a, they're, they're average players. I'm not saying, but they were picked in the first round to be great. Isaiah yeah. Simmons was supposed to be a fucking pro bowler. You just said they had untapped potential. They do. I think if Luana Room was coaching these guys, they definitely look better. Well, he, well, he's not. And first off, Kyler Murray coming back in the middle of the season would be pointless. The Cardinals, the best case scenario is getting the first overall pick. And Kyler Murray gained some trade value coming off a torn ACL. Because for as long as they have him under contract to 2029, they're probably not going to make a playoff run. So, At least when Michael Bitterwell is running the team and hiring the Eagles defensive coordinator, who was fraudulent all year against elite quarterbacks. Okay, I, think I, we I understand. Okay, I understand. I ain't. I'm not defending Jonathan Gannon. I'm saying that if Luna Rumo was on this team, I like their projection way we better. We know that. But I'm just saying that that's what I'm saying. So, for so them don't, so don't tell me because I, I know with Jonathan Gannon, this team's going to be a mitigated disaster. I know that. I'm I'm combating Dells by saying, listen, Luna Rumo, if he was here, this it's a different. We're talking about them differently. We're talking about them with some hope because right now with Gannon, they're hopeless. With Anarumo, they would have had hope. More importantly, could Luan Arumo rebuild the Cardinals' culture? He definitely could. I, would, I don't I think Gannon is that guy. For sure. I would definitely be higher. But I think the guy to do that would have been Brian Flores. If the Cardinals are 2-7, are 2-8, and seven, two and eight, and Kyler's ready to come back, there's five games left of the season, I mean, you, he probably, you probably put him out there because he wants to play. You want to see him out there. But you also, I wouldn't be shocked if they're saying we're just going to hold him out. I'm just saying, man, a Cardinals – I'm not the defense has some pieces that I don't expect Gannon to maximize. And I think if Luna Rumo was coaching it, they look different for sure, 100 percent Well, we'll we'll never know. Maybe maybe Gannon gets fired and Lou becomes the coach next year and we can find out. Well, well, you'll see Luna Rumo plenty in the AFC when the Bengals win that Super Bowl, baby. What the fuck? Are yeah. you a Jets fan? Yeah. You know what, that. What are you doing here? Joe Burrow, baby. So Stop playing with Joe. Stop ago. playing with Joe Burrow. So Nobody's where's DeAndre Hopkins going? My three Super Bowl favorites, Bengals, Jets, Chiefs, baby. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, Mahomes. Those are my picks. You didn't get Aaron Rodgers yet. We're going to get him, though. We're waiting. I don't know. And, and listen, talking about hope, a franchise that seems to try – they're trying to look for hope right now is the Green Bay Packers. Because Matt LaFleur made some comments that, you know, we should temper expectations for Jordan Love. And he said, certainly, I think we're fooling ourselves. If we think he's going to go out there and perform at the level of the likes of an Aaron Rodgers, it's going to be a different role for him, certainly. And I think we all have to temper expectations for him. Now, I know people like Dells are going to use this quote. They're going to run away with it. And they're going to use it to, 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 to talk about to talk to talk trash about Jordan Love. But the bottom line, Dells, and I want to tell you this right now, face-to-face, man-to-man, because you've been really low on Jordan Love. And the other day I tweeted about Jordan Love, and a bunch of Chicago Bears fans came at my neck because they're so insecure about their current situation that they have to shit on Jordan Love. But the bottom line is that 
I have no problem with Matt LaFleur saying this. Why, why all of a sudden in this new day and age do we want these coaches to come out and say, oh, yeah, Jordan Love is for sure going to be the franchise quarterback. Oh, he's for sure going to be as good as Aaron Rodgers. Why make a statement like that and put pressure on him when you can just say, hey, listen, relax. And then once September comes around, he surprises everybody, and he's better than anybody thinks. Because the bottom line is that Jordan Love is going to be a good quarterback. That, that's the bottom line. Jordan Love is going to be a good quarterback. And the Green Bay Packers, given how good their defense is, given the development of Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs, they have Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. The offensive line will be healthy. I think they draft another, another receiver in this draft. They can win the NFC North. And I think Jordan Love is going to surprise a lot of people. And it's not outrageous to think. Jordan Love, of course, year one started, will not be prime Aaron Rodgers. But Aaron Rodgers, 91 pass rate in the last season. Can Aaron, can Jordan Love be that? Can Jordan Love be 28 touchdowns, 13 interceptions? Can he do that? I think Jordan Love can be that. I think he can. And we saw the flashes in the Eagles game, man. The Eagles game, he was making throws. He was reading the defense. And even in his first start versus Kansas City, people are going to point to that team and the Chiefs defense being bad. But if you look at the Chiefs schedule after the Packers game where Chris Jones started playing defensive tackle again, the Chiefs only let up 18 points or more one time in the next seven games. Their defense truly became elite after that Packers game. And it started because Chris Jones moved back to defensive tackle and started causing havoc. Jordan Love reads the field well. He makes quick decisions. He makes quick throws. And in this offense, learning under it, he's going to thrive. And he is going to be a big reason why, moving forward, we start saying quarterbacks should sit longer. Because Jordan Love is going to – he's going to take the whole world by storm. Three years. And, and I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's crazy to say that after this season, we're talking about Jordan Love as a top five quarterback in the NFC. You have Jalen Hurts. You have Dak Prescott. After that, man. That's not mm. ridiculous. After that, after, after that, I don't know. Can Justin be Fields. He Justin can be, Fields. He's, better than Jer- he's better than Justin Fields as a passer already. Wherever Jordan, the Panthers take, Stroud Young. Jordan Love, I think, after this season, we could be saying, yeah, he's better than Kirk Cousins. He's better than Jared Goff. He's better than Derek Carr. I think we could be saying that. So mm-hmm. I think after the season, we could be talking about Jordan Love as a top five quarterback in the NFC. You see, that sounds great. Top five quarterback in the NFC is such a great headline. But then when you like read the actual body of it and you're like, well, the rest of the quarterbacks outside of Hurts are like not that special. It doesn't move me a ton. What was what was your tweet, by the way? Was it he'll be top five NFC quarterback? I no, it. I said Jordan Love will be a great quarterback. That's what I said. Oh, just a great quarterback. Because I just see the comments here saying that the tweet was trem- uh, horrendous or some shit. No, and then, you know, the tweet – Basically, I just said Jordan Love would be a great quarterback. That's it. Sure. And then, and then Bears fans saw it and they're like, "Oh, yeah. I'm just gonna look at it." You know, just, yeah, just, you, just you never know what he could say. He yeah. could say he's gonna be. Oh yeah, Bears Bears fans took it and ran with it because they're insecure about the situation because nope. they're not sure what what Justin Fields is yet. You, you know, I, so? I, I understand the rushing for Fields was all there, but his first two seasons as a passer, it's not yeah. the trend you want to look at. Um, Although yeah. I, I like, I I want to make this clear. I like the trajectory Justin Fields is on. There's no mm. doubt. Save but yourself. Save Jordan yourself. Love. Trajectory. Jordan Love 
is going to be better than him. You saw that riff. He's going to say, if, if, George, if Justin Fields doesn't pan out, he's going to say, all I said was a trajectory. And if he yeah. does pan out, he's going to say, I told you he was on that pace. Um, I respect talk, it. Talk, talk to us about how you called Jordan Love shit and you made fun of him for years. Talk about um, that, Dells. Talk about that. All I, all I said was he's been sitting on the bench for three seasons. I'm not ready to say he's going to be the next fucking Aaron Rodgers or anything like you've been pushing for really. For like I didn't say he's the next Aaron Rodgers. Like, um, but for the comments, I have no problem with the comments. I don't know why you thought I was going to come up here and say that this was terrible by LaFleur or whatever. Because what he said, I mean, it's not a hot take. Like, Jordan Love's not going to come in and be Aaron Rodgers. Like, as high as you're going to be on Jordan Love, if you think he's going to come in and win multiple MVPs and, and take you and win playoff games in the first year, it's not going to happen. If this was, you know, maybe Jordan Love going into year three, year four as a starter, we'd be having a different conversation. But LaFleur, all he's doing right now is he's just pumping the brakes on his first-time starter who is a first-round pick who's been a bunch of scrutiny around the league and the media saying we want to see this guy play. Now we're finally getting to see him play. All he's doing is pumping the brakes. He doesn't want to have any sort of overhype for Jordan Love. In week one, he goes out, those two interceptions, and all of a sudden people go crazy. No, what he's doing, he's being a good head coach. He's protecting his player. I have no problem with it. What I would say is that I wish we saw a little bit more of Jordan Love. Listen, he had a great two drives against the Eagles this past season where it was a situation, the Eagles defense, who, listen, Jonathan Gannon, Joel thinks is the worst defensive coordinator in NFL history, so maybe we shouldn't put too much into this. But, you know, he, he tore apart that defense for a couple of drives in a situation where they knew he had to throw the ball, and he looked great. He was on time. He looked poised. Everything looked tremendous about Jordan Love. But it's a different situation when you're going into week one as a starter. And as the weeks go on, there's film out there about you and your tendencies and what you feel and what, what's uncomfortable to you. And defenses and defensive corners pick up on this. So Jordan Love, it's still a question mark. Is he going to be a terrible quarterback? Maybe. Is he going to be a great quarterback? Maybe. I think at the end of the day, no one really knows. And you could even look and say, like, oh, he did this X, Y, and Z in college. And the Chiefs game, well, the Chiefs were, you know, Chris Jones moved a defensive tackle, and that's why he was terrible. I get all of it. With that being said, he's been sitting on the bench for three seasons. He has to show up this year. If Jordan Love goes out there and he's 50-50 and he has some good games and he has some bad games, I don't know if we're going into next season – stamp that he's the franchise quarterback for the Packers. You're going to have to pay him dangerously soon. You're going to have to pick up that option, I think, this offseason or maybe next and pay him $20-plus million. Then after that, you're going to have to franchise tag him for 30-plus or give him a long-term contract. So while I don't disagree that sitting quarterbacks is never a terrible idea, when you sit him for three years, now you're putting a lot of pressure on one season, kind of similar to Daniel Jones of last year where – he has to show it consistently week in and week out so we feel confident because we still have a lot of tape on the guy. Oh, sorry. I, I felt like Joel had a rebuttal. You know, I, listen, Riv, <laughs> I do. I, I will say this. I think there's less pressure than if you just – I think sitting for three years, and let, let's get this clear, man. It's not Trey Lance sitting behind Jimmy Garoppolo and losing his job to Brock Purdy. It's not that. He got hurt. He's sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers. First of all, the stray is fucking crazy because like, I understand. Breaks his ankle and is done for the year. Okay, I understand Trey Lance got hurt, but Brock Purdy came in to the point that John Lynch said that he's a leader in the clubhouse. Well, he's there's a Trey difference. There's like three there's there's a di- there's a difference between committing 
to there's a difference between not committing to this first round pick because you have Aaron Rodgers versus not committing to Trey Lance when you have an undrafted uh, no Mr. Irrelevant in front of him. Are you kidding me? There's a difference. I, I don't think it's that I crazy. Think, I think I, I think, think he has to say that. I think this this is the bottom line. I think there's less pressure on a quarterback when they're making this type of transition starting in year four versus, oh, you're a top pick. You have no offensive line. You have no receivers. You have no running game. Here, go play and figure it out. I Zach think – Yes, and there's a lot of quarterbacks that, that that happens to when they fail because they're put in a bad position. I think Jordan Love – I mean, you look at the Packers. I mean, yes, they need to add a receiver for sure, but – this is a good situation. Matt LaFleur, coach of the year. I understand people are going to point to Aaron Rodgers and discredit everything LaFleur has done, but LaFleur comes from a good coaching tree, and I think he does have a good offense system in place with Jordan Love. And I might even tell you this, Dallas. I think Matt LaFleur might favor Jordan Love more than Aaron Rodgers just because he doesn't have to deal with all the BS around it. Like, Matt LaFleur tells Jordan Love, listen, this is what we're running. You get no pushback. And I think there's less pressure on Jordan Love because he's got to learn the playbook. He's been in the system for three years. He's learning it. He's mastered it. He's learned behind the great. I think he's going to be more ready than people expect. And, and man, I'm telling you, I, I think that people are high on the lines this year. Minnesota's still in there in the mix. I know the Bears made a, a splash of free agency. Don't sleep on the Packers winning this division. Don't sleep on them winning this division. You think sorry, real quick before you go, Riv. You think who's gonna have a better year, Jordan Love or Tua? Tua, given he has Tyree yeah. Killing Jalen Waddle. But I think I think I will look at Jordan Love and say he'll be more impressive. I like Jordan Love more for you. sure. Shocker. Um, yeah, come on. We know his answer, Dallas. Let's 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 be serious. I mean, Tua is gonna I be I want to hear him say that Tua is better, just so maybe we could clip that and that you know Tua Tua is not gonna be better, but the stats, listen, Jimmy Garoppolo was top five in quarterback stats in his time in San Fran in a similar offensive scheme and system. It's not crazy to say Tua's going to have the stats. But in those big-time games where you need it, he's going to show why he's not a franchise guy. Um, I like what the coach did, but I don't think it changes the fact that there's big expectations for Jordan Love. You know, I think regardless of what the coach says – that um, I still think coming in, you've sat for three years, respectfully, Aaron Rodgers is in front of you, so nobody's knocking that, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. You've sat for three years. Now you've had your opportunity. You have, like you said, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, not the greatest supporting cast, but this is a team that, for the most part, has kept most of their defense together. They were, if I'm not mistaken, eight or nine win team last season with Aaron Rodgers. The NFC, like we like to mention, is weak. So this is a team that still has a chance to win the division and make the playoffs. So I think there is still a high expectation, not for Jordan Love to be elite. I don't think nobody's expecting him to come in, throw 35 touchdowns, ain't no, but he has to maintain consistent level play for this team every single week, make the right plays, put them in positions to win. And I think that is what Joel's talking about with the impressive stuff. Like for Tua, using him as an example, you know, he has Tyreek. He has Jalen Waddle. So, you know, for most, sometimes they save him. You know, Tyreek Hill is one of the best, Jalen Waddle. So it's understandable. But for Green Bay, Christian Watson's year two, his year one, he got better late down the stretch. Romeo Dobbs is year two. So it's like these are young, fresh pieces along with Jordan Love who hasn't had enough game film. So I think the expectations is extremely high. You know, will he be good? We don't know. But Green Bay's defense is still intact. 
you know, so that's something you want to see. But the Lions got better. Chicago did get better. Minnesota is retooling. So those are three teams you still got to look out for in the division, in a tough division. Because Green Bay last year, they finished third. They didn't finish second. They finished third. So this is – and the Lions got better. So we don't know if Green Bay got better because we don't know what we're going to see with Jordan Love. But we know Jared Goff was great last year. Kirk Cousins was great. So these are two teams that are still in the hunt. And that's why, Riff, there's not just a ton of pressure and expectation on Jordan Love this year. There is a ton of pressure on Matt LaFleur. How many coaches get to inherit a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback? The greatest quarterback in the history of the Green Bay Packers. Mm. Not many. So I know LaFleur comes in this great coaching streak, but as you say all the time, Joel, so did Mike McCarthy in Dallas. And there is fog of war here, not only Love given sophomore year at, Iowa, at, Ohio, at where it was Utah State, right? Very good season, puts himself in position to be a top 15 quarterback. And his 2021-2020 season has a lot of interceptions, falls to the back end of the first rounds. But the Packers did do one thing right, and that was not throwing him out there to the Wolves day one because he wasn't ready. I remember pre-draft, some people thought he had the upside to be better than a Justin Herbert, but up until that point, they sat in the last three years, let him develop. And every single time we've seen Jordan play, he's gotten a little bit better and better and better from the game against Kansas City to those little moments, those couple of drives he pieced up against the Eagles. I'm higher on love than most people because he has the arm talent and the athleticism. But there are a lot of questions with Green Bay defensively where Joe Barry is still a defensive coordinator. I think he's horrible. And then they need to add a slot receiver. I think Christian Watson can be special. I like Romeo Dobbs, but they need that third receiver big time. You lose Robert Tunyon. So I don't think this is a great situation for him, at least yet. If they add in with the third, 15th pick, a really good receiver, then I start to look at this and say, okay, he's got the weapons. He's at least got a coach that's finished second in coach of the year and hopefully a decent defense to give him an opportunity to win games this year and win the division. But I'm tempering my expectations because it's not just Jordan Love have questions and he has see more from, but it's also LaFleur when he's not working with Aaron Rodgers. Even Joe Barry being the defense coordinator that you think he, he is, which is not a very good one, Packers still were a top 15 defense. I can comfortably say that the Lions and Packers defensively, the Packers win that in the landslide. The Packers still have the best defense in the division. There's no doubt about it. They have the best. Much, well, the Vikings, the Lions. That the Bears, isn't saying and, much. And the I'll Bears. The Bears and the Vikings are the two worst defenses probably. Okay, probably. but we know, yeah, but we're comparing them to, the, to their division. So by far and away, they have the best defense. So that means Jordan Love will not have to be in shootouts his entire the entire season, which is, I think, a huge plus. Joe Barry has moments where, yes, he doesn't scheme up the best game plans, but he also has moments where he's he's pretty good. And the offensive line, David Bakhtiari healthy, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, those are, those are three pillars. I think Christian Watson has wide receiver one upside. You know the running game is going to be good with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I mean, if the Packers in the first round draft Zay Flowers and in the second round draft Darnell Washington, I mean, we're looking at this team very differently. And I think in, in this, like, they can definitely get a receiver in this draft that we could be like, yo, this is a good situation. I think it's a good situation now. They have to bolster up the receiving core. There's no doubt. Get a tight end to replace Robert Tunyon. There's no doubt. And maybe just Josiah DeGuara has a breakout. I'm not sure. But all I'm saying is that this is a good situation. And Jordan loves over under for touchdowns. I think this year is 19 and a half. I'm smashing the goddamn over, Dells. Does, does, does the Packers over. have? That I'm smashing it. That, uh, Joel, does the Packers have arguably the worst offense in the division? Yes. Is that not ideal? Take them over the Bears? Are you saying Bears over them? 
the Bears have a better offense. Rushing offense was unbelievable this past yeah. season, and they just got DJ Moore. So, yeah, no doubt. But I think that Jordan Love, um, outside – Jared Goff is, is proven. Kirk Cousins is proven. But their system quarterbacks. I think that Jordan Love not only is a good system quarterback, and he showed it. Like, in Kansas City, this is a thing you want to see out of young quarterbacks. For example, Zach Wilson, when we saw him play – you know, it's not a lot of standing in the pocket and going through reads and making quick decisions. He holds on to the ball. He runs in circles. The pocket presence isn't there. There's a lot of nervousness that you feel. With Jordan Love, he went into KC at Arrowhead in his first start. Steve Spagnola blitzing the hell out of him, sending him exotic looks. And all Jordan Love did was not take sacks and make quick decisions. Was he inaccurate? Yes. But did he make the right decisions? Was he trying to take advantage of one-on-ones for Devontae Adams on the outside? He was. He was making quick and decisive decisions. One thing about Jordan Love in his limited time that he's played, you can tell that he's a quick decision maker, he doesn't take sacks, and he's confident and poised in the pocket. He doesn't run around and run in goddamn circles like other young quarterbacks. He's not that. He's very calm in the pocket. And that's why, to me, he projects as a good system quarterback. But then he also has the other things that you can't teach, like making making plays, like getting out the pocket and making plays. Because there was some throw, there was some throws on film that you know he was very aggressive with. He made a big time throw against Kansas City, like across the field, that I don't even think Aaron Rodgers attempts at this stage in his career. So Jordan Love, man, let, let's let's put some respect on his name. I got to go back and watch that Kansas City game because I'm not remembered the same as you. Like, it was so 22. long ago. <laughs> all all twenty two, buddy. Come on, Dells. Yeah, J Love, baby. I respect you. You're gonna bring out the the positive moments from that game, but there was a lot of negative moments too. Well, the negative moments is that he was inaccurate. That was negative. But yeah, the decision making was wasn't bad. The decision making you like. He you had like no rep in Vontae either. That was only a receiver that week. Yeah, there's a lot of things, man. Jordan Love, and he handled it pretty well. It'd be pretty funny if this is the time the Packers finally break not drafting a wide receiver in the first round, and it's for fucking Jordan Love, not Aaron Rodgers. And it's for Zay Flowers. Is that what's <laughs> going to happen? Is Brian Gutekunst going to finally break the trap? They also he- don't like taking receivers under six feet either. That's another trend. This draft class has a bunch of receivers mostly yeah, under six feet. Side. Oh, Quentin Johnson, maybe. I think I think in the first round the Packers go. Well, the, uh, Christian Watson, he's like fucking six three. Six yeah, four. he's six four. Yeah, I, I have the Packers in the first round possibly taking Dalton Kincaid or Mayer, and then in the second round taking one of those receivers. Kincaid would be a problem with Jordan Love. That would be sure. awesome. Or yeah. maybe they go Quentin Johnson and Christian Watson. That'd be fun. I like Jason yeah. a lot on this team though. In the slot, he could just plug in immediately, and that would be a young quarterback stream. They have what? Middle of the first round, I don't they know. 15. 15. Yeah, I mean, JSN could be there for sure. Now, the next topic we we're going to have was talking about Mac Jones and the Patriots shopping him, but multiple reports have come out and said that that was not true. So, okay. we're just going to go straight into reviewing NFL win total lines. Um, and this is interesting, you know, I this is the first time I'm doing this in the NFL season where I'm looking before the season starts at projected win totals and trying to see, you know, what's the best bargain for me and what teams can possibly over overachieve, over overachieve this season. Um there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams. Six teams right now that have plus one hundred odds or better to go over their win total. 
which means that if you pick the over, you're going to, you know, make more of a profit. So the Broncos at eight and a half, the Bengals at 11 and a half, the Browns at nine and a half, the Giants at eight and a half. So Vegas is projecting the Giants to be be an eight-win team or less this upcoming season. They don't believe in Daniel Jones and the miracle that was the Giants this past season. They have a tough schedule too. Yeah, the 49ers at 11 and a half. And the Cardinals, we were talking about them quite a bit, at five and a half wins. So if they win six games, the Vegas is tra- is telling you, bet against them winning six games, mm. which I think is fair. You know, from looking at this, Arizona, I'm not touching. No. Nope. What was their total again? Five and six, a half. Six, five and a half. Yeah. I'll go I'm, not taking, I'm not taking plus 100 odds on them. I'll take I mean, the 49ers 11 and a half them to win 12 games it, it kind of feels like you know what plus 100 12 games i like that i like that a lot i love yeah. it Especially if it's one team yeah. the niners i'd do it yeah it can't be know. any worse at quarterback in terms of injuries this year but we right? don't know who's no gonna get a quarterback i don't think it matters say it again John? If, it's, if it's if it's brock purdy at quarterback you know they're gonna win games in the regular season if it's trey lance that defense is so good. Uh, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, sure, you know they're going to win games in the regular season too. What they lost doing? to the Bears, but um, listen, it was it, a fucking it, monsoon. Yeah, for the Bears too. Still um, lost but to the Bears. It was a monsoon for the Bears also. But, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan, you trust him, but I'm more confident in Brock winning games than Trey Lance because I've seen it. Uh, no disrespect to Trey Lance, he's more talented. That's That's obvious, right. but you know, Brock has an NFC chip appearance. Trey Lance doesn't. Gosh. Man, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I will be honest here. You know, what's a harder situation? You know, you're, you're one of your first starts against the Bears in a monsoon or at Arrowhead against Steve Spagnola. Against what was <laughs> up to that point, a bottom five defense in the league. Now, the monsoon is definitely they hard. They weren't. No, no, no. I would say facing a top defense in the league is harder. At Arrowhead, it was game, they were terrible. The, the Bears were terrible defensively, and Trey Lance was throwing yeah, nothing bro, but, but bro, it, was, it was a monsoon, bro. Like, the, the rain literally was you covering the field. You couldn't even see the field in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was crazy. Weather. What do you, you think, John? What's week one? No, to be fair, I mean, Steve Spagnuolo against a rookie quarterback is a rough recipe for the Rook. But a monsoon in week one where there's no film, a weird week of preparation, I think it's pretty even here. They're both tough spots to play in. Fucking John. So <laughs> Niners are real tells, unlike so, your Celtics. So <laughs> Niners 12 wins. Are we taking that this year? I like that. I'll take that. I like for that. Niners, um, sure I would. You think the division with the Rams, listen, I, I know Stafford wasn't great last year when he was healthy, but I think they'll be better than what they were last year at a minimum. Now, I don't think that's going to equate to eight, nine wins for them, but I think the division will be a little bit tougher, but it does feel like that's a conference that's Philly or San Fran and an outside shot to the Cowboys to lose. So when you're going through all those NFC teams, most of them, basically all of them are going to be worse than San Fran. And you got to, you know, assume that you're not going to go through three quarterbacks this season. Hopefully, you know, Purdy, Lance, Reverend is able to stay healthy. I think the Niners could win five, like five to six games in the division. Like I think they can sweep the Rams. Yeah. They'll sweep the Cardinals, and they'll probably split with Seattle. Maybe you know they could. They could go six and zero. That wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, it's like no, they could. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. The Giants nine wins, plus one hundred odds. They're underdogs to get that, and I, I don't think I would take that, man. I, I think I I easily go the under on eight and a half wins. I, I don't, I I don't think, think they win nine games. I think with the NFC East, we have one of the toughest schedules, all of our teams in the, uh, in the league. Then you look at the Giants, 
they didn't really bulk up at wide receiver like you might have wanted them to. You know, they got a couple okay names, a couple number threes, but still no true number one. Darren Waller still has injury concerns. We don't know how many games he's going to play this year. If he does play, he, he'll be great. I, I, I know he will, but it's if he will play. Defensively, they're solid, but, you know, you, that offensive line still needs work. You still want to see Evan Neal take that big jump year too. So I can see them probably getting flat at nine, but that schedule is so hard. I'd probably go the under. Eight's a good line. They were they went eleven last year, right? Ten. Nine. They tied with the Commanders. Nine. So they were nine and eight last oh, year. With an easy okay, schedule. Yeah. Then I don't know why I thought they won eleven. They feel take- more like an eight and nine team to me this year than a nine and eight team or more or better. Yeah, yeah I agree. They overachieved last year. We've mentioned it so many times on the podcast. And the schedule being tough this year. Last year, they had one of the easiest schedules. I mean, to start the year, we were talking about, like, obviously, you know, the Giants starting off so hot. I'm like, wait till they see Green Bay. That'll be the real test. Then Green Bay's kind of mid too, right? So yeah. everyone they played last year, not everyone, but most of the teams outside, like Philly, it, it was a pretty easy matchup for them. Um, and now you also have a year of film of Daniel Jones, Dable, this offense. Bringing Waller's going to help for sure. Um, but it, it feels like they could go under that total. I agree. The I Cleveland would, Browns. What, what are you going to say, John? I would not go the over there because I do not trust Darren Waller to stay healthy. Yeah. yeah. I, I can see that. a season where, you know, Daniel Jones gets exposed. Darren Waller can't play the full season. <laughs> I don't know. think Daniel Jones is going to get exposed. I just don't think he's going to level up like Giants fans want him to. He's peaked. That's yeah, a hard reality. Is, like, he'll be able to be yeah. accurate when there's not a lot of pressure in his face and there's open receivers, but I don't think he'll be able to like get into that next tier of like the Dax. I just the think the, the problem with the Giants is they were fiending for wide receiver help, and you still don't have it. So it's like they now can draft one still, but yeah, you don't have like a, a guy you can count on right now. now you're relying on a rookie if you do draft to come in and be the number one. So, yeah. No, it's a lot. Now for the Cleveland Browns, ten wins. Their line is at nine and a half, so ten wins is plus one hundred dollars for them. <laughs> you know, Joel, I've been meaning to talk to you because I saw your little Deshaun Watson rant about how he wasn't good, and uh, you know, it was cute. You were right to a degree. You know, he was—he didn't play football for two years, but you don't even give him the benefit of the doubt, so it's fine. Whatever. Um, they got Deshaun Watson. If he's back to elite play, even if he's back to just being a top ten quarterback, they got that's Nick elite Trump. play. Yeah, no, but, uh, like, you know, he used to be, like, top five, top six, whatever. But he gets back to top ten. He has Nick Chubb. The defense is underrated. They got a lot of guys out there. Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Miles Garrett. David Njoko had a great year. Amari Cooper is still one of the most consistent receivers in the league. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore. Donovan Peoples-Jones, yeah, I know how I I love Donovan Peoples-Jones as number two. He's better than Elijah Moore. Uh, No, he is. Fact. But Elijah Moore, he can shock the world and be a really great number two. I like Cleveland. I'll take the over. I really do like Cleveland as a team. Is this – are we assuming – Do you, okay, Rip, do you think they'll still get it if Lamar leaves? Or, yes. sorry, if Lamar stays? Yes. So but regardless I, this, of the this, this is my – my assumption is Deshaun Watson is back. So if he's not back, I'm fucked. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't really matter what the rest of the division is. Yeah. So. No, if Deshaun Watson's back, it does, it's just the Bengals in them. I don't really care for anybody other anybody yeah. else. I don't if Lamar is with the Ravens, nah, they, they have a chance. I'm good. I like Cleveland. The Browns became so pass heavy once Deshaun came back, which I understand you give him $230 million. You want to see what he has. 
Um, but also, you know that running the ball with Nick Chubb was working. It's worked for years, even when you had Baker Mayfield kind of game managing things and got you to the playoffs and your first playoff win, as Joel mentions, in the last 20 years. Um, but I do worry a little bit. Stefanski's been a great coach up to this point. He won coach of the year a couple of seasons ago, offensive mind. I like him a lot. But I do worry a bit that he's going to try to put or try to prove to the rest of the league that they didn't make a mistake with Deshaun Watson and mm-hmm. try to throw the ball 40-plus times when you have Nick Chubb, who's one of the best running backs in the game, and you should probably be leaning on him a bit more if we're comparing to what happened at the end of last season. So I think a lot of this relies on kind of offensive philosophy because I'm obviously not an old-school guy. I run the ball 25 times with Nick Chubb, and you know you just have a quarterback to figure out the rest. But I do think there has to be some balance there, especially with Deshaun's gotten his feet wet, right, played five, six games or whatever, but – he still has to get more in-game reps for Deshaun Watson to be Deshaun Watson again. And I hope until that point they rely on Nick Chubb some more and not just throw Deshaun Watson out there when there's been some bad weather and there was some freezing cold games. And they're just like, fuck it, we're going to throw the ball 45 times. Um, so I hope Stefanski's a bit more balanced this upcoming season. Got to hope the defense steps it up as well. The AFC's tough. The AFC North is tough. I would be taking the under. Uh, it was nine and a half, right? Yeah, so 10 wins. I taking nine or less wins for the Browns. This may be the toughest division in football, but Deshaun Watson doesn't need to get back to his elite level for the Browns to win this division. Because Baker Mayfield in 2020 had a great season, but he was not an elite quarterback throughout the entirety of the year. But the Bengals Bengals didn't have Joe Burrow. But that's the thing. This Browns secondary with Martin Emerson, he was great last year. Denzel Ward. Greg Newsome, you had him Juan Thornhill, and then you really bolster up the interior defensive line. Mm-hmm. You, uh, maybe most importantly, you move on from Joe Woods, you bring in Jim Swartz. This defense, especially up front, it can't get worse. And so when you look at what Nick Chubb can do as runner of the football, I don't think Stefanski is going to go all out with the pass. Last year was really just trying to get Deshaun as much passing reps as possible going he missed 11 games. The offensive line will be crisp. You have a good receiving core, but it's the secondary here. It's the best secondary in the ASU North, far and away with Denzel Ward. And I really think Emerson's supremely underrated. He's a big-time player. And I think defensively with Dalvin Tomlinson, Agbanya Okoronkwo, I mean, Javini Clowney was not very good, not a good culture piece. Mm-hmm. This Browns defense will level up. And offensively, with the second year of continuity, after missing 27 games, Deshaun won't be worse. So I'm going with the Browns over here. I'm almost sure. I'm almost with you, John. I just the, the whole Deshaun doesn't need to be elite part losing me. But I'm with you with everything else. You need, you need Deshaun to be elite to win that division. I don't know. So would you know, would you rather would you rather bet on because these are both plus one hundred odds? Would you rather bet on the Bengals winning twelve games or the Browns winning ten? Browns I would say my chance with the Bengals. Wait, Bengals winning twelve? Yes. Yeah. What's their schedule? I don't have it like directly in front of me. Is it like middle of the pack? It's probably going to be the I, same schedule as the is. Browns. I so remember looking a couple episodes ago, and the NFC East and AFC East have the hardest schedule. So that's the top eight, basically. Okay, okay. Yeah. So uh, the Bengals winning 12 or ah, that's uh... – I went back to Sean. I actually didn't throw as much as I remember. There's only two games of 30-plus attempts. I'm taking the Browns, man. Fuck the Bengals. I respect it. Fuck the Bengals. For sure. Yeah, I'll probably still take the Bengals, man. You know, Joe Burrow is going to own that division. For as no, long as Kenny Pickett's a student's quarterback, probably like Oof. two, three years max. He almost lost to Tyler Huntley in the playoffs. He did. 
Uh, and the Steelers almost won the division the last two years. I would go at the Browns over the Steelers. Always the Steelers always almost do something. Yeah, they that was that was in Roethlisberger. That was in Riff. That was in Riff. Over no, under. Now you're out there in 11. Now I know you love the foot <laughs> season at me. That would be the Jets' best season. That was that 11 season. That 11 <laughs> games. That's hey, more like, games like than Jets said last in or... any of the last 12 years. Last football episode, we had the same amount of AFC championship appearances in the last. Yeah, since the last time. The Jets made the playoffs, Dallas. Because oh, if memory serves, the longest When's the last drought time you guys went to the AFC Oh, the longest drought. Okay, that's oh, good oh, now. C- congrats on being a first-round exit against the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield. My Let's relevant, go, Steelers. I'll you take guys are so good. Hey, listen, oh, no. Dallas and Riv, you know, over under, Kenny Pickett is a Steelers quarterback three and a half years. Three and a half? Under, under, under. They, the thing with the Steelers is they love their guys. So like once they have someone, even if they're just mid as fuck, they'll keep with him. It, I, and I, they also they also don't lose enough games to go get a quarterback. Exactly. So I, think like, I think they'll have Kenny Pickett. Yeah. The Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos. Zach Wilson will last longer in New York. <laughs> He's almost out the league. He might go to the Rocks League. I think he should go there. Now Denver Broncos plus one hundred odds, eight and a half is their line. Nine wins. Are you willing to bet on that for the Broncos? Man. I'm not a fan of Denver, man. Sean Payton fixes a lot. Sean Payton can fix a lot for you. They brought in pieces for the offensive line. They're keeping their receivers. Javante apparently might not be ready for week one, so I don't really know who they're starting at running back. The receivers um, are mid. Samaji Piran. Did they sign Piran? Yeah. I think Sean Payne could get you nine wins. I think so, too. I yeah. think Sean Payne can get you nine. I don't know if he gets you ten, but I think he gets you nine. Alternate spread, ten. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if ten is possible. The Raiders, I think, are going to be last comfortably. But I feel like the Chargers and Chiefs are also pretty comfortably first and second. It really depends on what Kellen Moore does for the Chargers. That that, But I can easily see the Broncos winning more games than Los Angeles. Yeah, what was it? Eight? You said eight wins? Not they nine wins. I'll sit at nine. I'm gonna go flat. I'll sit at nine. Yeah. We saw this last season. Coaching matters. And in 2021, Sean Payne won nine games with the worst quarterback playing the NFC. And now you add what they have in the offensive line. Running backs a question, but in today's day and today's NFL, you take one in the third round, you'll be fine. Defensively, I think they'll be a little bit more healthy with. Justin Simmons and they'll get nine. Is, is am I yeah, the only yeah. one that thinks uh for Denver wide receiver is a question? Not if they're healthy, I don't think so. Judy, Sutton, Patrick, I think they're fun. Yeah, they just seem so regular to me. Judy, I, I will say though that uh, you know, worst case scenario, Jared Stidham starts. You know, worst case scenario. <laughs> that won't happen. That is terrible. You gotta respect Russell Wilson. Jared Stidham had a good game respect against the Niners. Respect they him made him ten million dollars, but he, Russell he played Wilson's well. All famer, so he played well. Respect him. Wilson's had good games. You, you gotta respect Russell Wilson, my friend. Jared Stidham's game against the Niners might have cleared anything Zach Wilson is. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're starting. You're starting Stidham over Russell Wilson. God. It depends on how Russell plays, but. Granted, how many games the Broncos lost where, like, if they would have scored 16 or more points, they win. I think that, like, I'm comfortable taking nine wins for them. I am. You know, I'm going to bet on them this year. I don't think they're a pretender. But that's going to do it for this episode of Pickers Out Podcast, episode 269. 
Next episode will be NBA. We'll be doing our NBA awards, all NBA honors, and we're hoping to have Pierre, Pee-wee to plug, pick us out, P, on that episode. It will be on Friday. Make sure you guys mark your calendars because we'll be here live again. So what's on Friday? Six. Six. Reading some super chats. Cuba Gavelli. Arizona should use the year like the Bears. Pick and money. Oh, like last hoops. year they just didn't do anything. Yeah. Street saying John or Brandon Ingram fan. Mm. Is John, that true, John? Is this true, John? No. Shout out to Burner Hoops, but no. <laughs> Cuba Gavelli. If Arizona was going deaf coach, defensive coach Flores was the move. There was there was some hype around Flores getting that job too. Um but it didn't work out. And now to see Cole Larson. Man. Jordan Love will throw no more than 20 touchdowns. How do you feel about that? What, we need a small – need, what, need, Before we go, tell me Jordan Love's stat line for next year. 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. 4K? 3,500. Okay, calm. 3,500. Rev, you not moved by that? 3,500. <laughs> 20 yards a game. Not, or 3,800. Love, baby. Jordan. <laughs> you, need, you, need, you need Jordan Love to pop because Zach was a complete and utter failure. Well, Jordan Love will pop. He's going to be good. <laughs> we heard this way. I'm, I'm going to stay out of it. I'm not going to start it. You, you need, hey, you need, we, heard, we heard Trey Lance out of you, buddy. Yeah, no, Trey yeah. Trey Lance doesn't play. <laughs> That's the problem, Dels. That's the problem. Trey Lance, we just don't know if he's good or not. That's the problem. It's be- hey, better than knowing he's not good, right? Good point. You know. <laughs> the, the known versus the unknown. Exactly. <laughs> so you guys can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Pick Us Out Podcast and on Twitter at Pick Us Out Pod. We'll see you guys next time. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash BlueWire. Again, wefunder.com slash BlueWire.